I see no problem with that. And he's like, you're right. It's not too much to ask. And I will get on my knees for you. Yeah. Get on your knees. Get on your knees. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) Turn myself on. (laughs) That's much better than self burn. (laughs) Self arousal. It's way better than self burn. (laughs) It's like, that was really hot. Oh, my God. Too bad I can't get on my own knees because that does nothing for me. <laughs> I mean, you can get on your own knees, but like. But then I'll just like be on the floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to your safe space, the podcast your partner, friends, parents, whoever thinks is dirty. Don't have time to read books? Want to understand the TikToks? We got you, fam. We're the Spice Traders, and we deal in spicy books. My name's Katie, and I need it to make sense. Hi, I'm Des, and I would love to talk about feelings today. I'm Liz, and I'm hypercritical. As always, we start every episode with three things. The first is a generic trigger warning. You can find specific triggers for this book in our show notes, so please check those out. Also, we do use foul language and talk a lot about sex. If you have sensitivity to that, this isn't the podcast for you. Secondly, we talk about books. The whole book, nothing about the book, so help me goddess. If you plan to read this book and you don't want something spoiled, don't listen to this episode right now. Lastly, we acknowledge that a good book can hit you at the wrong time. The views expressed in our discussion are our opinions, and we absolutely do not want to diminish the work and the talent of the authors in our community. That said, we have some notes. All right, Liz, what are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about Heavenly Bodies by Imani Ariu. Um, Her pronouns are she, her. This was published in 2022, and it is the first in an ongoing series, the Heavenly Body series. This book is a longie. It is 619 pages in a physical copy, so it is a chonky boy. Um, I read it on Kindle. Did either of you get the, like, physical book? All right. So we can just imagine it's a chunky boy. It weighed as much as our Kindles weigh. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So I do like the cover, although it I keep seeing different things every time I look at it. It's like it, it kind of reminds me of like a birth chart or like the um, wheel of holidays, like the Wiccan wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like different symbols in there, like knives and birds and things. And so I didn't look at it that hard the first time, but I'm a fan. I like it. I don't really have anything else. There is a map. I think there's a map. Mm. There is a map. It's a pretty good one. Okay, great. It is a good map. Okay, great. Oh, I've seen a couple of maps since then, so I'm confused. Yeah, and there's a there's a lot of like inspiration from astrology slash star charts, and I know you're shocked with a name like Heavenly Bodies, but <laughs> oh yeah, there's like a whole like character list in the beginning yeah. that is very. So this is one of the reasons that I felt like as soon as I opened this book and I saw not only a pronunciation guide but also like a guide to who everyone is in relationship to everyone else. I was like, man, this feels like a book that would be right up our alley. It's what we've been asking for. We want that pronunciation guide. We want that explanation of who everyone is. And we got it. And I was so excited. And we got into the book. And I was like, well, one, I've immediately forgotten most of this stuff. And two, <laughs> yep, it just didn't quite take off the way that I would have liked it to. Right. Like, while I was reading it, I enjoyed it. But I think the fact that I'm struggling to remember uh, the plot says something about it. Yeah, and I think the so the index in the front that we get is just a list of the stars, which are we'll learn, and it's not giving anything away to say now, are basically gods and goddesses. So we don't yes. get a full list and a full pronunciation guide. And honestly, it was a little bit like, I don't know, it was a lot <laughs> to read through this list because there's like 
12 yeah i think of these stars i also how many, like how many signs are there there are as many stars as there are signs i don't want to discount this book because we don't remember it to katie's point earlier like this is we're four books removed from this at this point it's been like three-ish three four-ish weeks since i've read most of the book so like i'm not terribly surprised that i have not retained like now that we're looking at it again and i'm starting to remember the plot again but it definitely it wasn't as like high marks as i would like to give it even when i had first like fresh read it yeah, yeah. it was kind of one of those that again i enjoyed it but it was over and i was like what did i read <laughs> what yeah it just wasn't a standout so uh now that we have rambled Katie, let's actually get into this plot. All right. Take us on a journey. So as we kind of talked about, there is a map. It's a map of Celestia, and that's the world that we're going to be living and breathing for this book. Um, there there are a couple of different places on this map. It's it's actually a really good map. It's got a bunch of different kingdoms. Um, north is where it should be. <laughs> it doesn't look too small or too big. There's a lot of like good detail, and I did reference it a couple of times as I was reading the book, which was nice. Um but in terms of right now starting it there's that's really all there is to say we do get that index of patron stars and what they represent like des mentioned so in this world each of the countries or like areas within celestia have a patron star and they represent specific things i'm not noting anything right now because they'll all be important and introduced later and so i'll bring those up as we meet them because if i was just to go through all 12 right now you would be like me and like eyes glazed over yeah so (laughs) yes would mean nothing (laughs) right we don't get a prologue and so des knows everything that happens in the book just like we do so let's jump in (laughs) from the get-go so we meet alara who's just woken up from a nap where she has dream walked into the dreams of a stranger from helios she is a stowaway right now who is fleeing from something, traveling through the region of Asteria, her home, and she's hoping to exit that area soon and take refuge in Helios. She's someone of importance, but we don't quite know why, because she was able to pen a letter to the king of Helios before she left, asking for refuge. On their way to crossing the border from Asteria to Helios, uh, the card is searched, but Alara is able to use magic to conceal herself. She finds it an unpleasant experience using her magic, like fighting a wild animal. And we learn that her ability to use magic, specifically three different types of magic, is a rarity. So she can dreamwalk, like we have seen. She can cast illusions, which is how she concealed herself. And then the third one is that she can shadowmance, so essentially control shadows. When I was reading this, I got really excited because I was, well, not excited, but uh, she can dream walk, which is interesting. We haven't really done a whole lot of that, but I was like, dreams, Liz's favorite thing. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, because she can dream walk, there aren't really like dream sequences. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) the cart passes by the temple of Piscia. Piscia is the star whom Elara resents because... Piscia was not there for Alara when Alara needed her. Piscia is the patron star of Asteria. She is the goddess of fear, nightmares, and the dark. Her other name is the slumbering goddess because she doesn't actually wander Celestia like the other stars. She has not been seen actually in centuries. 
So as we learn a bit, a little bit more about Alara, it's clear that something terrible happened to her that she tries not to think about too hard because her mother always scolded her for, quote, feeling too much. And we can infer that it's likely that her parents are dead in some way. When they cross into Helios, the landscape instantly changes. So the sky in Asteria is kind of like a bruise purplish blue. But in Helios, as soon as they cross over the border, the sky turns into this burnished gold and warm red. The temperature changes too. It becomes warmer and just like more humid than it ever was in Asteria. And she instantly notices that the people are louder. She exits the cart as they near a market in a city and immediately knows that she'll stick out like a sore thumb because she's basically dressed in wool clothing and everybody else here is dressed in like light clothing because it's so hot. And like very kind of like scandalous light clothing. Right. I think about it like um, in Aladdin the cartoon where like everybody's like got a belly shirt on, even the men's. Is. <laughs> yes. Yes, very much. And it's all like. <sighs> yeah. Yes. I don't you remember want a the name of that fabric. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know the name of the fabric. It's like like tulle. It's like mosquito netting. Yeah. It's yes. like chiffon. Yeah. Yes. Sure. I, sh- just, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to go back over here. Where, where are you no, going? No. Uh, over oh, here. Oh, okay. Where I, where I live in my, in, my, in my little hole over no. down here. Don't no, groundhog. I'm a groundhog. <laughs> wow. Six more weeks of winter. <laughs> Please. It's a million degrees outside. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I digress, Katie. <laughs> so Alara is immediately singled out by some drunkards who are essentially looking to rape her, calling her an entitled little bitch and corner her in an alleyway and try to force themselves upon her. But before they can do so, she, she summons all of her nightmare power, which is her shadowmancing ability, and forces it into... Her physical appearance as well as into the mind of the men in front of her she warns them that if they ever touch a woman again without consent that they will beg for death at her hand and one of the cowering men asks who she is and she replies just an entitled little bitch like they had called her she like this whole scene i loved her like even um like right before that when she goes to like start using her power and she says, like, fine, but remember, I didn't really want to do this. Right. And then one of the one of the men begs and says, like, please, like, please don't. And she says, is that the sound you wanted to make? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, damn. Yeah, she's she's a badass. Like, there's she's such there's a some things later on that like have some, but she's largely a badass. Yeah, I like it too because it sets the tone of like, I mean, a lot of the books that we read the female main character will be forced into being a badass. Like they'll have to go through a training montage or something like they don't just start out being able to hold their own. And so I liked the setting of the tone of like, no, she's good. She's really good. Like she's fine from the get go. Yeah. yeah. She has one other line that I swear I'm going to use. Um, she says, it's rude to smell like that and abuse my senses. <laughs> <laughs> Cause they're like stinky men. Oh my God. I should have said that. We went to a soccer game. Quick anecdote. We went to a soccer game on Wednesday and these three teenage boys sat in front of us and like none of them had discovered personal hygiene yet. Mm. And I should have said that to them. (laughs) You should. I'm going to use it. Yeah, it's rude to smell like that. (laughs) So Alara hurries to the castle, which is described as a gorgeous white complex with golden rooftops and a copper waterfall framing its gates surrounded by two lion statues. She tells the human guards that she has an appointment with the king and they kind of laugh at her. But... It's, she very quickly uh, makes them understand who she is, and she is shown into the throne room of King Idris, 
In this room, there are murals depicting this king pushing back the darkness of Asteria. And Alara bristles at this, but kneels all the same, thanking the king for seeing her. King Idris is older and not nearly as robust. He's kind of grown soft in age and peacetime. His eyes are golden, but very dead. His son stands behind him, and his son is much younger and breathtakingly handsome. He looks at Alara like he looks at prey, and his name is Prince Lorenzo, the Lion of Helios. He has dark brown curly hair that falls across his forehead, golden eyes, and a strong jaw. In this interaction, we confirm that Alara is a princess fleeing Asteria. I really like Lorenzo from the beginning. <laughs> really? <laughs> I go back and forth on him quite a lot. <laughs> I Yeah, I don't know. <sighs> I liked him. But... I, so we haven't met him yet, but he is like a butt buddy, and I confused the two of them throughout the whole book. Yeah. Because it was like Enzo and Leo, and I'm like, Lorenzo. Okay. We have read Why? several books lately that have done this, where there have been two characters that are close to the main character, and their names are similar enough that it causes me all sorts of confusion. We had that with um, Dark Prince, and then again with Aisling, or Ashling, um, and now with this one where it's like, if you're going to put two characters near the main character, give them different names. Yeah. Don't. Yeah, because Leo could easily be short for Lorenzo. Yes. But it's a different person. <laughs> <laughs> and he's the lion, like the lion of Helios, lion prince. So like Leo, lion, like I just, they're not the same person. And I got real confused. Yeah, <laughs> we call him Enzo. And one of my friend's dog's names is Enzo. And so that was all I could think about in some regard. <laughs> Sweet dog, but... Well, and Enzo's fine, but then don't have a Leo. Because you're basically just making his name. different people. Enzo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they are different, and I didn't like that. I'm with you. And they're friends. So not only are they both close to the main character, but they're close to each other. So it's very clear in this interaction that the king and Lorenzo his son are aware of the situation that Elara has placed herself. Like she's kind of at a disadvantage, right? So King Idris grants her refuge with conditions. The condition is that she will become the weapon that she was so clearly meant to be. And we learn that a star Ariette overthrew Elara's kingdom and killed her parents over something to do with Elara. And he will not stop until he finds her. We learn that there's also a prophecy regarding Alara that she cannot be killed by a star unless they also perish. Elara muses to herself that, you know, King Idris is only telling her half the prophecy, but we learn no, no further information about what the second half might be. King Idris offers to train her if she fights for Helios when the time comes and take her back to her rightful throne. And to me... This doesn't sound like a horrible deal. It's just the vibe is definitely off. Like, the King Idris is a creep, one. And also, his son is just as leering and weird. And that's why yeah. I didn't like Lorenzo at first, because he's like, his dad's a creeper, and like, he's looking at her just like, mm, like a fox licking his lips kind of thing. Like, just, dude. You're <laughs> I right. Just got okay. here. I just got here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, Alara 
accepts and the king gives her a maid, Marissa, and reminds her that this deal, who she really is, everything must remain very hush, hush, hush. And so the people that she trains with are only a trusted few people like his son. So I feel very weird like up until this point in the book where everything just feels or like this agreement and this situation feels very easy. Like the whole thing, like it, it feels like when you're a kid and you sit with your parents and you make a disaster plan and like, it feels like this is part of that disaster plan, but also it's, it's not because like these two um, factions dislike each other so greatly. So it's, it should be, more odd that the king is willing to take her in and like that's not super like given and then like the maid that is given or like is is given to alara or alara yeah alara feels very like instant best frenzy and like that feels odd and so at this point i'm like i just don't all of this feels very fishy or like very ham-fisted and sometimes that just happens in the beginning of the book because you're like you're getting used to the characters but I was under the impression that something was afoot. Like, I was concerned that there was something fishy going on at this point. I had a similar thought. I mean, so especially because the murals on the throne room in Helios are of the king fighting back the darkness that is Asteria. Like, they're sworn enemies. And so this is one of those times that I looked at the map. And Asteria is is basically on... um, peninsula and its only land neighbor is helios but my thought was why would you just not continue through helios to somebody that's a little bit friendlier like this seemed like you could have kept going you didn't have to stay here right right like you must have allies because helios clearly they're not allies right exactly i mean like if you were going to go seek refuge anywhere this is probably the place that's least likely to help you right which also made it feel fishy because the king does seem so willingly to help, so willing to help. Right, right. And that's why I was like, I just don't understand what the deal here is. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like there was enough prejudice going on in the conversation that they had for the outcome to be so beneficial for the main character. Yeah, it seems easy. She's like, I need help. And he's like, okay. Yeah, right. I don't know what they're getting out of it. Right. Yeah. And even afterwards, I still don't know what they're getting out of it. Yeah. So anyway, Marissa, the new maid, shows Alara to her private bath and remarks uh, remarks about the beautiful tattoo that is kind of a down Alara's back. It's an elegant rendering of a dragon that was tattooed all the way down her spine, snaking down in black, its scales and wings laced with shards of silver. And she you know, thanks Marissa and says, oh, my best friend Sophia did it for me. Also, I love me a tattooed main character, Mm -hmm. like a a lady. We don't get that very often. No, no. Especially with such like a big, like strong tattoo. Yeah, right. It's usually the menses that have them. I will say. And the menses do still have them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I will say Marissa makes her a bath. And one of the things she says is that the water was cool, frothy, with honey-scented bubbles, which, like, that's great. Why is the water cool? Nothing. Because it's hot there. I guess. I just, <laughs> even when it's hot, I still feel like getting into it. Like, I don't, I don't know. I know. Well, and then later she takes hot baths. So I'm like, why is this? I had the same thought. <laughs> you make a good point that it is hot there. I just, 
I don't know. <laughs> it felt no, weird. No, I know. At least it's cool and not cold. That, but even that doesn't seem... Like it's not an ice bath. Like, you, like, like a, it's, <laughs> it's like a cool bubble bath, which doesn't seem to go in... They don't go right, together. My, my brain was like, I don't understand what a cold bubble bath is. <laughs> does, right. does bubble bath work in cold water? I mean, come on, guys. I don't... I Like, right, I don't know, it's heat activated. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Alara scrubs her body and her long black hair, tries to let go of the painful traumatizing events of the last week, but again, we don't get a whole lot of details on what those might be. Marissa helps her dress for dinner, and we learn that Marissa is half Asterian and half Aphrodean, which is unique because those two nations or areas don't typically associate. They are enemies. It's starting to feel like Asteria has a lot of enemies. Because Marissa is Afro Aphrodian, she has glamour magic and helps to make Elara's hair look how she wants it. And so I had a lot of questions about glamour magic because I always pictured glamour as being an illusion. So like is is her hair just like stank and it just looks nice? Like <laughs> <laughs> through this whole book they talk about glamour magic and I have no idea how it works. I I, I always wonder about glamour magic too. And since I was just listening to our recording with Touch of Darkness and we talk about the like antlers where we talk about like, are they there? <laughs> yeah. Or like, like, can you touch them? And they're just invisible. So I have the same question. Like, is I, I don't understand glamours. I did not catch that. But I, this part, again, the beginning of the book felt really fat. Like I knew this was a longer book. But the beginning of the book, so much happens so quickly <laughs> that mm-hmm. I was like, are we setting up for like a porno with like a pizza guy situation? Like it it feels like it's going to be quick and <laughs> smutty, but like I know that it's a long book. And so I was mm-hmm. very confused about the pacing in the early part of the book. Yeah, porno I almost wish <laughs> the porno with a pizza guy is pretty funny, <laughs> but it's, it's a, so funny. a porno with a faking kind of thing. Yeah, But it, it felt very much like and this is all coming back to me now the book's pacing is weird and I feel like it would have been better served if it dropped you in the position where she's preparing to become a weapon and then you get how she got there through yes. back flashes or something like that yes yes because then even when we get to like the halfway point which I know we're not there yet but there's like there's like a climax before like a climax should be in a normal book. So it's like we climax, we come down, and then we like climax again, and it's weird. And I don't mean orgasm; I mean like in a plot structure. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, not climax like an orgasm for a while. No, <laughs> right. But we have a bunch of like weird plot structure climaxes. Yeah, because this is also one of those books that I feel like very easily could have been two yeah. books. It should have been. Yeah, I, well, I agree. It is it, like and what, it is a series too. So like I just feel like. The pacing didn't make sense to me. I either wanted more time in this early section or I wanted less time. Or none time. Right. Like, yeah. It just wasn't, it, the pacing was very strange. Agreed. Yeah. So while she's getting ready, we get a little bit more about what Alara looks like. So she's got that gorgeous long black hair down to her waist and silver eyes. She's got full lips and sharp cheekbones. And she makes a remark to herself that lets us know that she's very well versed in how to use her looks to get what she wants. And I really like, you know, pacing aside, I like the way that the author sets up Alara because frequently we'll get these heroines that still feel like they're coming into their own a little bit in terms of like their confidence in combat or their confidence in their body. But like 
it very much feels like Alara knows who she is. And she's still kind of combating some of the, the things that her parents raised her with. Like, you know, you feel too much, but she still knows who she is and what she can do. Yeah. Yeah. So as she gets dressed, the clothes in Helios are risque, as we mentioned, because it's hot. They have thin silk skirts and crop tops with sandals, no corsets. And Alara obviously is gorgeous in them, though she bemoans her curves have lessened due to her weeks living rough on the road. And in books like this, the the, the idea of no corsets, fine, but there has to be some kind of undergarment situation because that's just not practical <laughs> right like are, are you in these crop tops like are your boobs just like boobin they I don't, might be when i wear a crop top with nothing underneath that is very inappropriate indecent i'm i can't leave my house no so she gets dressed she goes to the banquet and when she enters she sees the prince lorenzo conversing with two other people one is a dashing man dressed like a soldier and the other is a pretty woman who is sat on his lap ilara greets the king and he and his son both appraise her openly because they're both a bunch of lecherous so-and-sos they're both a bunch yeah and she has this very (laughs) greasy feeling which i appreciated she was just like "Mm, nope not a big fan of that and so i feel like the reason i didn't like lorenzo is because she clearly does not like lorenzo because he's such a creep yeah that's fair. And I, I think maybe my, like, I liked him off the back is jaded off of, like, who he becomes later. Yeah. Because now I'm remembering these scenes and, like, I, they yeah. were gross. They were gross, yeah. Yeah. So, predictably, the king tells Alara to sit with his son. Lorenzo greets her and tries to goad her into conversation, and she declines, saying his reput- reputation for burning, whoring, and killing his way through Asteria has left a bad taste in her mouth. She dresses Enzo down with her words, and his soldier friend laughs. <laughs> so basically, she claps back and says, uh, kindly fuck off. And this guy is just can't keep it together next to her. <laughs> he introduces himself as Leo. And so Lorenzo has now become Enzo. And then we also have Leo. And then Enzo is the lion of Helios. And so here we have the circular reference where uh, Leo and Enzo are very interchangeable, even though they're two separate characters. (laughs) They're two separate characters. But we learn Leo is the commander of the Helian army and captain of the guard. He lets Alara know that um, he knows her true identity and will also be training her. So it's not just that she's stuck with Enzo, that, you know, she's got this reprieve in Leo. He engages her in conversation effectively, and Enzo is also just kind of there with this other person on his lap. And (laughs) we learn that Enzo has uh, something in common with Alara. He has the three of Helios. So she has the three of Asteria. Enzo has the three of Helios. Those three are light, fire, and sight. Sight here means that he can see people to their very core. So we've read books in the past where, like in Light Lark... The king could, he knew when people were lying to him. We've had other books where um, people can see like auras, like in um, Air Awakening. This is kind of like that, but he can basically see people's true intentions. So he knows when somebody is like good or mostly bad. But crucially, he cannot see hers. Yes. He asks her why he can't see a damn thing about her. (laughs) And she's just kind of like, that sounds like a you problem, dude. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) It's really great. 
but he basically tells her that if she's a threat to Helios, that he'll kill her on the spot. And she responds, she doesn't take kindly to threats, so the next one he gives her might be his last. And then she promptly ignores him the rest of the night and enjoys her meal, which, God, fucking yes. Mm-hmm. Put him in his place. She, is it during the scene where, like, the girl that's on Enzo's lap, he just sort of, like, dumps her on the floor because he's, like, That's when they first arrived. Yeah. And he's, like, butt hurt. Yeah, yeah. okay. He's just like, bye. (laughs) (laughs) So as she's enjoying her meal, she observes the other guests and nothing really interesting here, except that she remarks that no one in this group would really recognize her, primarily because Asterians don't really have guests. As her father said, quote, we like to remain private. Too many friends can create a den of vipers. So we kind of come to understand that she grew up very sheltered and Asteria is a very kind of closed off North Korea situation. Which is probably why no one likes them. They don't have any allies. Probably. The North Korea thing really <laughs> fucked me up. Oh. <laughs> that was such a delayed snort, Des. I told you. Buffering, man. It was just really funny. <laughs> so at some point in the night, the chestnut-haired girl comes back and sits on Enzo's lap. But as Enzo, like, whispers in her ear and flirts with her, he's staring directly at Alara. And this makes her leave. And the way that she bids them good night is just amazing. Leo, she exclaimed brightly. It was a pleasure. She extended her hand to him, then turned with disdain to Enzo and the girl still leaning over him. Enzo, she said mockingly. It's been, well, pleasure is a strong word. <laughs> she is a wordsmith and I love it. Like she's so sharp witted and sharp tongued and I mm-hmm. love it brutal she's a delight and i wish i had like a modicum of her like sassy wit yeah i mean i read books like this and i'm just like man i really need to be a lot more savage in my (laughs) day-to-day right (laughs) just like take no prisoners man who has the time could you imagine responding to somebody that in like a a meeting (laughs) like (laughs) it's been i think it would be is a strong word have a great day everybody (laughs) (laughs) i have once i mean when I was in Hawaii and I worked with um, some shit teacher and we had this horrible meeting where like we were both so angry and I did pull out the have the day you deserve. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but I said it and then I immediately was like. <laughs> I said the inside like, part out loud. Whoopsie. I said, I said those inside words out loud. <laughs> but it was great. <laughs> So when Alara sleeps that night, she dreamwalks into someone else's dream, and this dream is a sexy one. She sees a naked woman um, kind of on her stomach on the bed, like like you would read a magazine on a bed, not like face down on the bed, like unconscious. Like she's very much awake, <laughs> sexily on the bed. <laughs> and Alara feels the desire of the dreamer as her own. And when this woman on the bed turns over, Alara realizes that it's her. <laughs> But she didn't recognize herself at first because she didn't have a tattoo on her back. So this understandably freaks her out and she wakes immediately up and goes onto the balcony for air. And this is where she has books on her balcony and decides to read to calm her mind. So, okay. And she doesn't question these books, really. Yeah, (laughs) apparently like someone like left her books out there. I don't know who. But also, what monster... Just leaves books outside, unattended. 
it does it is a desert so like maybe do you want to dry we live in an arid climate sometimes would you leave your books just outside <laughs> in the heat the the no, sun never. no never you you have a very valid point. it made me so mad like look i'm not a physical copy book girly but i do care about the books it does seem rather disrespectful. I think I'm really not as caring with my books as I should be. I'm pretty like rough and tumble with them. So that, I'd probably leave them outside. <laughs> you have such like this chaos gremlin like strain in you. Sometimes it really comes out. <laughs> I think it's getting stronger in my old age. <laughs> I can see that. You just get more and more eccentric the older you get. You also give less fucks the older you get. Yeah. I well, But like I care about my books deeply but to me, I'm like, I love my book, so it looks like it's been in a washing machine. <laughs> That's how you know I liked it. I wonder if it says uh-huh. anything about our love languages that I'm like, it must be pristine and perfect. <laughs> same, same. Oh, but does that mean the mind's like, I like them damaged? <laughs> oh, it just, you're, you like them like, like you like to show your love physically and like well worn and like carry it with you and like enjoy it. Whereas I'm oh. like, I'd like it to be up there and pretty. I would like for it to look like no one has ever breathed on yes. it. I know. I When we were in high school and I would borrow books from Katie, I always had such anxiety because, like, Katie doesn't break the spine. Like, Katie doesn't dog your pages. And I, when I get a book, I immediately crack the spine and I dog your pages. Although, I will say, you you did encourage me to start dog earring books. I, I do that yeah. now. Uh, I do think that a certain amount of anxiety about holding physical book, like reading physical books came from a, like, I don't want to damage this. So I'll just read them digitally so I can't damage them. So back to Alara really quick. She, she, (laughs) she's reading and she says this line that I love. She says to Alara, a reader was an alchemist. They turned the mundane into something extraordinary, transforming words on a page into entire worlds. And man, if that's not self-aware of the author to write into this book. I would love to have that quote on our social media when we get to this book. Yep. Oh, it will be for sure. It's already dog-eared for me, like in my brain. Metaphysically (laughs) dog-eared. Yeah, one of those. So in the next morning, Marissa brings Alara breakfast and dresses her for training. Marissa tells her that Prince Lorenzo is in a foul mood. And I can't help but think if that's because of the dream. That is, was his dream, the one that she dream walked into. Marissa tells Alara the prince isn't so bad and seems like she might have a softer spot for Leo as well. So like they're all kind of friends in the background. When Alara meets the prince, he scolds her for being late which she turns into a jibe about him being able to tell time, which I love. (laughs) (laughs) And kind of without much more conversation, they trek out of the city and into a nearby forest to train, which seems conspicuous. Like if you're trying to keep this person a secret, why are you going to traipse her through the city to go train in a forest? He takes her all over the fucking place. I know. It just reminds me of don't be suspicious. Don't, don't be, be suspicious. suspicious. I think they, they knew that Katie was going to read this book and decided that they needed to make sure that they hit lots of locations because they Katie does not like it if you're in a single location for too long without good reason. Which I appreciate, but at least put a bag over her head. I mean, oh, yeah. she looks like an Assyrian. <laughs> <laughs> just gonna walk this girl with a bag <laughs> over her through the city. No, what's Speaking of shit that's not suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> what a normal. 
thing. <laughs> Not like a hood or a scarf. No, a bag. A full-on bag. I love when I see the prince drag a woman through the streets with a bag on her head. <laughs> Just another Tuesday. <laughs> Nothing makes me feel more safe in my city. <laughs> wow. Okay. But I mean, you know what I mean? Put her in a carriage. I don't know. Right. Like literally or like go outside the city and like skirt around the city. <laughs> Put a bag over her head. You know, do something better. Be better, Prince. <laughs> Could you imagine the Prince? He's just got a companion with a square paper bag. He two eye holes cut out of it. <laughs> That's what I picture. Yeah. A little smiley face drawn on it. <laughs> Nothing to see here, folks. Just me and Baghead, my good old friend Baghead. You remember him, right? Yeah, don't mind the tits, but uh, he's a great guy. He's good old Baghead. Oh my oh god. My god. <laughs> wow. Okay. <clears throat> this is when I want our listeners to make fan art. So if you want to make fan art of good old Baghead, <laughs> I would adore it. Oh my god. Okay, so they go to this forest and Enzo's basically giving Elara like the silent treatment. Like he's just huffing and like walking through the forest to try to find an appropriate place for them to spar, I guess. And so she tries to like trip him up with her magic and this results in them sparring magically back and forth, which doesn't go super well for Elara because she doesn't have a great command over her skills. And Enzo ends up magically pinning her against a tree and choking her and she tries really hard to like get away from it but it's it's clear that she can't until she starts to lose consciousness and get really really angry and then her magic kind of rears its its head in force she uses her shadows to overpower enzo knocks him back on the ground and suffocates him in darkness which is horrifying, and I love it. She is it's such some... a badass. Enzo kind of loves it, too. <laughs> yeah, he does. Um, anyway, she immediately snaps out of it. She's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Um, are you okay? And he scoffs that at least she has some power, and it's not a total waste of his time. And then apparently they're done training, and he just leaves. So that was a great first yeah. day, don't you think? Such a great first day. Uh, this starts a training montage over a period of time. They don't get any closer, Enzo and Alara, but Alara muses that at least it makes her fitter. She's starting to eat better. She's starting to get in better shape and her curves are coming back and that makes her happy. Then one day, the two of them hike up a mountain to a red desert with two golden statues and they actually have a discussion about magic. Point of clarification, there's a bit of a continuity error here because in this conversation, Enzo refers to the night that um, Alara found out that he possessed the three as last night, even though it was clearly weeks ago. Yeah. That was I, a little I weird. I highlighted that. I was like, wait, where are we? What it time is it? just one of those things where I was just like, wait, where are we? I didn't actually even notice yeah. that because I, the continuity, like the, the pacing was so weird already that I was like, oh, I must have just misunderstood the pacing again. <laughs> No, I'm pretty sure it's been a couple of weeks since they were training. But so he takes his shirt off and we realize that he also has a tattoo across his back and it is golden and of a winged lion. She shows him how her shadow mancing work, but quickly runs out of stamina. 
and then shows him illusions where she glamours herself to get past his defenses and puts a knife to his throat. So they're kind of like testing all of her different magical skills. And she's by far the best at illusions. I think I would be too. Like, I think that's the one that I could practice by myself pretty regularly and have that be like fun. Yeah. Although I like the way that she uses shadowmancing that we'll see very soon because it, it's basically like you can do anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love the shadow man yeah. thing. So she again brings up with Enzo the stories that she's heard of him that he, quote, raises anything in his way to the ground. But this is like the third or fourth time this has come up. Like he's got this reputation of kind of being a terrible person. But I wish there was a little bit more detail around it. It feels very pat. Like, oh, you're a terrible person because you've committed war crimes. It's just like, okay, but like. Do you know any of these people? Like, did you have a cousin there? Like, I don't know. Did you guys believe that? No, it seemed odd. I feel like my opinion on that particular thing has changed a lot since we started reading a lot more books. Because I try not to be jaded by the amount of books that we've read. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. But it's really hard because I'm like, well, we, we, we see where this is going. Where, you know, there's yeah. two sides to every corn. <laughs> corn. Corn. There's two sides corn! to every coin. It's corn! It's got the juice. <laughs> there are many sides to every corn. Yes. And. Every kernel has money sides. There's no, uh, there's no innocent in war or whatever. I mean, there are, but anyways, all this to say, like, I had a suspicion that, like, there was more to that story. Yeah. To that point, too, it I remarked to this about this to James last night. I feel like my critique of books is getting better because I've read so many of them now. And yes, one of the things that I keep seeing come up in books like this is the war criminal past like backstory, mm-hmm. the like chosen family thing, which fine so books do this to varying degrees of success right yeah i feel like this book did the chosen family thing better than most but i feel like his backstory as being like quote a war criminal was a little forced in these couple of first chapters yeah yeah well and it's like i'm also starting to see more cliches kind of like you're saying like i'm seeing more patterns and it's the war criminal that regrets all his actions like right Every time. He's a changed man or something. Or it's not I really remember, a war criminal. Well, right. Like, I remember the name of the 9,000 people I've killed. And I'm like, right. okay, but do you? You don't. You have them yeah, tattooed on you your skin. you know their names? <laughs> or yeah, it's no. the Rysan character who's, like, bad because he has to be. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, do it. Bad. Anyway. <laughs> Back at the ranch, Alara <laughs> seeks out the baths, which is like a spa complex with a sauna and a large heated pool, which sounds amazing. Sign me up for that shit. And that one's heated. Yes. It's not a cool pool. It's not heated, but it's also subterranean. So she likes this place specifically because it's like enchanted to the the cave ceiling reminds her of the skies in Asteria. It's like blue and purple and kind of shimmery. But it's cooler in that room, so it makes sense to be a heated pool. Which is nice. Very nice. While there, we get a little bit more information about the war on the shadows. 
which left Asteria adrift and basically alone in the world. We learn later that they do have a couple of allies that she could have gone to later, which again, back to the point of why did you go to Helios? But essentially, this is the, the battle that the murals in the throne room are about. This war had come to an end when Alara was young, though a fragile peace between Helion and um, Asterian kings was established. They're, they're still not on the best terms. So we get a quote here about specifically what Enzo specifically did. And it says, over the years, the poor towns on the border between Asteria and Helion had been caught in, a fi- in the firing lines as warriors burned villages, stole and pillaged to wrestle land back inch by inch, the lion of Helios right there with him. But my quote here, or my note here again, is like, what did he specifically do? Like, it, right? Like, he's the prince. Of course, he's gonna be there. Right. And then also, are you telling me that Asteria did nothing? Like, that seems outrageous. That's not how war works. Yeah, I think that's the point that I was trying to make earlier. Is like, everybody, all of the ruling parties, when it comes to any sort of war or like political issues, everybody is involved. Like. It's, it's not like, oh, that one person is good and that one person is bad. It's like, no, everybody's everybody's killing innocent people. Like, yeah, everybody's kind of out for their own shit. Right. Like, that's the point. Yeah. Everybody killing everybody. So the last thing that she ruminates is she remembers somebody named Lucas from her past who used to train with her when she was younger in Asteria. But at the thought of him, her memory's sour. And so we get the we get the picture that Lucas is probably not the best of persons. On her way back to her room, she sees Leo and Enzo fighting on the lawn, kind of between where her room is and where the prince's room is on the other side. And she openly watches them. (laughs) (laughs) Oggles them. Oggles them. And then, like, when they finish, she thinks she's going to get caught. And so she just kind of, like, whoop, ducks below the balcony and, like, stays there for, like, 15 minutes to make sure nobody (laughs) sees her. Which I appreciate, like, the realism of her as a character. Yep. Uh, relatable. <laughs> yeah. So that night, she has a nightmare that startles her awake. We don't get any details about the nightmare. But on the balcony, she conjures a crow with her illusory magic. It flies over to Enzo's balcony just as Enzo exits his room. Enzo notices the bird and then her, and they begin to exchange notes. It's possibly the first civil discussion they've had even though it's passing notes and it's kind of cute. I think it's cute. It very much reminded me of like, frankly, passing notes in high school. (laughs) Yeah, like in the hallway and Mm -hmm. you're just like, hey. Or like, did you ever like fold a note into like what was considered a football? It was just like a very small triangle. And then like flick it across the room when your teacher wasn't looking. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, God, I don't remember like exactly what the wording was, but I remember a teacher basically saying like no footballs in class and like. Yeah what they meant were those well. notes and they would get really hard so like if you flicked them like they could hurt and they were like really sharp on the edges yeah yeah the next day the next day despite that interaction enzo is back to being a prick and takes her to see isra who is a seer we learn that the last part of the prophecy that alara had referenced is that she will fall in love with a star and it will kill them both as they make their way to the market to get to Isra's. So we kind of, we, we learn that thing about the prophecy as she's kind of thinking about it to herself. It's not like she's sharing this with Enzo or anybody. At Isra's, Enzo tells Isra that she needs to help them unlock Alara's power so that Alara can kill a star. The reason that Isra is so gifted is because she's half Svetin and half Helion. 
So Svetans are known for being seers, as are Helians, just in different ways. And so those powers combine to make her very powerful. Isra knows about Elara's cursed love, even though only the stars should know about that. And so Elara doesn't really clock that, but like she clocks it, but she doesn't think about it very much after that. The other thing about Isra is that she is like long-term friends with both the prince and her maid, Marissa. Um, so like when we were talking about the chosen family thing earlier, like these these people along with the guard that we met at the dinner the first night are all like good friends that like hang out together. Right. Which I, in my mind, I don't remember if we get a description of Isra, but I thought she was like an old lady. And then later <laughs> when they're all hanging out and they like grew up together, I was like, who is this crone that's just like <laughs> with them? Rude. I think I know, she is I, older, but she's not like, you know ancient she's like 32 to their 26 or whatever right she's the adult okay, in no. the room i thought she was like 106 <laughs> <Ouch>. <laughs> so isra does a reading for alara but it goes sideways pretty quickly her magic isra's magic starts to activate while isra's in a trance and it freezes alara in place and isra is kind of holding painfully onto alara's hands so the other side of Isra's magic is ice magic. So literally icicles are forming in the room and like freezing Alara in place. Enzo has to intervene and is like genuinely concerned for Alara for a hot minute. When Isra comes back though, the moment is like super gone. She says that the silver cold power was in her vision. Um, the kind that she has only ever seen from death and that a golden power will join it and burn the world. But first this couple, Enzo and Alara need dust glass to kill a star uh there's actually also this super cute moment before all of this happens where isra asks if um alara would like tea and before she says yes i want it and then isra asks how do you want it and enzo responds with her preference for tea which uh, i believe is uh with two spoons of honey and it's because he had been watching her at another, like, at dinner or whatever when she had ordered tea in that same fashion. And I was like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Trying to notice the things she's into. All right. But it's almost like he can't help himself. It's just like, oh, she likes it with two, two spoonsful of honey. Yeah. Like, oh, fuck. I probably shouldn't have said that out loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this, this prophecy that Isra gives that she has a silver cold power that is reminiscent of death and it will be joined by a golden power and they'll burn the world together and they also need dust glass to kill a star alara has a really bad reaction to this and like doesn't want another prophecy to deal with she basically says that she won't save the world because the world never did a damn thing for her and she brings up the border towns again and enzo gets mad mad and so alara <laughs> just stands up to leave um but as she's leaving isra tells her that they start dream rocking classes the following night the next couple of things that happen very much feel like we didn't, as readers, get a chance to sit with the emotion or the things that happened in the book for long enough. So the two, three things happen. First, Ilara storms out angry to leave, but runs into a boy who is watching like her and Enzo's horses. And he's got this ball and he's like, play with me. And she's like, okay, okay but less creepy than that. <laughs> he's not trying to kill her. He's just young. He's... <laughs> Whenever you say it like that, it makes me think of Furby, and that's just play with me. Yeah, Boy yeah. Is he's a Furby. a Furby. Yeah. No. The second thing that happens is that Enzo comes out, and she's like instantly mad again. So she was mad, plays with this little boy, was not mad, and then is mad again when she sees Enzo. 
And they start writing. She starts writing back to the palace. He makes her stop, forces her to ride with him so they can go train somewhere. And she's like immediately into him again because they're sharing a horse and like pressing their bodies together. Rubbing up on her. (laughs) And then the third thing is that he takes her to another place she doesn't want to go, assuming she'll be afraid of heights so they can unlock her magic. And I'm like, are you mad or not? It like it does. Anger doesn't disappear for me so quickly, girl. Like like I just this whole scene felt very whiplash to me. Well, it was super whiplash. It's like what we talked about before where the pacing was just weird for me because I felt like there was a continual thread of residual anger, but it seemed to flare at like random points and like all of the the, the events all happened so quickly that it just made the like the flare-ups feel simultaneously close together. Like the peaks and valleys were like right up against each other instead of like rising yeah. and falling, which I think makes sense in a certain regard. Yeah, I just also didn't really understand what she was trying to do. So, like, if I was mad and I was trying to get away, I wouldn't wait and play with some random kid. I would just be like, no, get the fuck out of my way. I'm going to, like, go back to the palace now. And so, like, just the the start, stop, start, stop, start. And now we're here. Like, <laughs> I it was very jarring. Yeah. Well, all this happened in the course of, like, I don't know, like, two hours, so that's also a lot. Yeah. And the, the the fourth thing that happens is that he takes her to basically a cliff face and, like, starts sparring with her magically so they can try to, like, awaken her magic or whatever. And it, like, it doesn't work. Like, Alara's exhausted and still kind of angry and aroused at the same time. <laughs> and so rather than... Uh, I don't know, thinking about it for like two seconds, Alara just decides to jump off a cliff to see what if... What the fuck was that? <laughs> yeah, so I guess to face actual death to see if that would awaken her powers, but I guess if it didn't, you'd just be dead. Yeah, that that's where I was like, this is a commitment. Like, you <laughs> really... And it's not like, oh, she's skilled at cliff diving and is used to being able to, like, navigate when she jumps off and not hitting a rock on the way down and make sure she hits the water in a way that doesn't break all of the bones in her body (laughs) no she's just like us and then like throws herself off a cliff which why (laughs) ma'am she just like yeets herself off a cliff and just hopes that it's gonna be scary enough right and and so enzo jumps off the cliff to try to save her which seems like a lot but this experience does awaken her magic and so she's just suddenly able to summon a full-ass shadow dragon that they play with for like a couple of hours and my note here is like i'm willfully suspending a lot of my disbelief here because this all feels very fast but we're like legitimately 16 percent of the way through the book so like here's hoping right and that's what i was saying at the beginning is like it feels like a book that's like at this point up until this point and kind of throughout it feels like a book that should only be like under 300 pages and is going to be a slam bam thank you ma'am yeah but it's not it's not (laughs) not it's not at all no um okay so back at the palace alara cleans enzo's cut i don't even remember how he got cut it's just an excuse for them to get physically close and react to each other yep I think he got cut when he jumped in after her. I, I want to I wanna take a second and talk about that moment because in that moment, I didn't realize, like, I, I find that moment to be really stupid, 
but I did not yeah. realize until we get later in the book why that moment was so significant. Um, I'm still not convinced that it is significant, though. Like, he has full control over his three, and so I, I feel like if he needed to save them, he could mm, some way. I guess that's fair. Yeah. One of his powers, I feel like he could have just... Oh, it, I, I don't understand how jumping off the cliff with her, he had... Like, what were you going to do? Hold her as you plummet to your death? Well, and he says, like, spread your fucking wings to her while they're falling. And, like, that's what triggers her to, like, summon this dragon. And, like, that's cool. But I... I don't know. I felt like that moment was important, not from so much of, like, a... It signified, like, the spoilers, I'll cut it, but, like, basically that pull to to go after her because of the bond that those two have. Like, I have to be with her. Okay, Liz. I'm I'm just over the Faded Mates thing. Like, I, <laughs> I have lost all interest in Faded this Mates. This feels so different, though, to me. It doesn't. It's the same. The reason it feels different. I'm with Des on this one. I liked the I liked how she did this. Because I liked how it was written. I'm just I'm just over it. Yeah. I think for I me the reason it feels different is because it's not like, oh, ev- anyone can have a faded mate. It's like these two motherfuckers have like they are gonna be the only ones who have that kind of push and pull with each other. Well, and that's with the prophecy. Like I got that from the get go of the prophecy where it's like, it's darkness and light. And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, we haven't yeah, really okay. super identified anything. We haven't read a book that's really like, triggered any of my like big, bad, like I don't like this sort of thing tropes. Like we haven't really read a really bad communi- miscommunication trope. I realize that I do. I'm, <laughs> I I'm developing one. I fucking hate prophecies. <laughs> I don't like prophecies either, man. It's, they're too, it's too easy. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. But uh, so here's the thing. That I hate about prophecies because the, the prophecy in this book, like, is the thing that propels this entire story. Right. Where yes. do they come from? Like, give me the religion that they live in. Give me a reason that somebody is an oracle that ha- gave the prophecy. Like, it very much feels like most books, the prophecy is a part of the story. And, like, that's the only one ever and, like, you just are unlucky enough to be the subject of the prophecy. But, like, I much prefer, like, ancient Greek-style oracle. Like, anybody could go to the oracle and get a prophecy, right? Right. Yeah! You could get a prophecy about your fucking chicken dying. Like, right. you could do anything. <laughs> like, that's more interesting to me. Like, most people have mundane prophecies. Yours just really slaps, and I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, that would be more interesting. But they don't give you any of that context ever. For me, it also just... You're right. It feels like someone is trying to be edgy and like it feels like they're like, here's this part of a puzzle piece that you'll have to figure out as you're reading. <laughs> and I'm like, right. No, I see what we're doing. Like, it's very obvious. I. This is what we're doing. Right. I don't. <laughs> and then at the, at the end, they're just like, this is what we're doing. And you're like, I know. Uh, yeah. It's, wow. And so I will say with wow. this one, at least like. They didn't give us all of the prophecy right away, but I kind of almost wish that, like, that part of the prophecy or the other, like, part of the prophecy would have been kept secret all the way until the end. Like, keep me guess, surprise me about this part of the prophecy and, like, why it hasn't been known. Like, if you give me all the prophecy right up front, like, I'm going to spend the whole book, like, pigeonholing the story into that, into that prophecy. Whereas if you give me part of it or none of it, I won't do that. No. And the, especially in this prophecy, it's kind of like a, 
I feel like we got a lot of loopholes here. Well, and it, oh, you know what? Yeah. I actually just figured out why I hate prophecy so much because it leads to a lot of miscommunications, which is what happens in this book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So we don't like prophecies. <laughs> I don't like prophecies. It's the same thing as like having a chosen one. I'm just like, Can eh. we? okay. Meh. Yeah. Meh. Back at the palace, Elara is cleaning this cut that Enzo got. I don't remember how he got it. If it's just an excuse for them to get physically close and react to each other. And they have like this, a little bit of excitement, tension, and neither of them really want to go home. So they go for one more ride on the dragon and Alara apologizes for the way that she reacted at Isra's. And I don't really understand where she's coming from in this scene because he was still a dick and that shit still happened and that shit still happened and you can feel your feelings. Like she had a bad reaction. That's a valid way to feel. And it was scary. Like everything got all icy and she like wouldn't like over your hand and she doesn't want any more goddamn prophecies. Like, right. Feel your feelings, girl. And I like I understand like apologizing if you have hurt someone unintentionally. Like, I'm sorry if I hurt you with anything I said, but I'm still like I still feel the way that I do and like I'm still frustrated and I'm you know that. But that's not what the apology is. And also like he didn't in any way get hurt. Like she didn't say anything that was unkind or untrue. She was just like, I no. hate this, and I don't like it, and I'm leaving. And it's like, yeah, that's yeah, fair. Like, fair. It had nothing to do with him. Yeah. So I, I don't know why she apologizes. But anyway, the next day, she leaves early for her lesson with Ishra and takes a detour to get food, but literally runs into Leon, the patron star of Helion. So he is the god of pride, arts, prophecy, and light. His other name is the Revered Lord of Light. And should not be confused with Enzo or Leo. He is a different no. person. <laughs> different third person. A third light boy. <laughs> he recognizes who she is and like openly desires her. And he's gross. <laughs> he's really gross and very much a fuck boy. And Enzo finds them and breaks it up pretty quickly. But Leon exits the interaction by telling Alara that her secret is safe with him. And despite him being um, at adriette's brother that she's always welcome in his bed so a adriette actually it's er ariette sorry ariette ariette the patron star of percy's the god of wrath war and chaos and volcanoes that's the guy that overthrew her kingdom so Enzo's clearly upset, but blames it on the fact that she's supposed to keep a low profile, not that he's, like, jealous or anything. That would be weird. <laughs> he does ask if she's going to take Leon up on his offer to share his bed, and she unequivocally says no because he's too full of himself, plus blondes aren't really her type. Which is, Enzo is not blonde. Enzo's not blonde. I kind of keep picturing him, picturing him to be blonde Same. because he's, like, the he's lion, lion of Helios, but... Yeah. I think that's why I also get confused. Yeah. <laughs> The imagery in here is very contradictory sometimes. Yes. But so Alara has picked up pastries, and these pastries are an apology to Ishra, who already knows about Leon and remarks that, as an outsider, it's just funny to watch stars in the mortals banter. The pastries that she picks up are like, oh, God, what are they called? They're like lavender cakes or something. Yeah, I wanted to find them because, like, I don't know what the – they're not a real thing, obviously. But if they were, I would eat them, make them. all the time. <laughs> like lavender cloud pastries or something. Isra already knows about Leon, remarks that as an outsider, it's just funny to watch the stars in Mortals banter, but she doesn't say more on that topic, like why she would consider herself not a part of one of those groups. It's just kind of a weird thing to say. 
Yeah. We don't question that. Nope. We learned that Isra knows how to dreamwalk because she learned it from an ex-girlfriend that Alara also knows and has a little opinion of. And so they both, <laughs> they kind of bond over the fact that this woman is like not a great human. Um, but they successfully have a dreamwalking session. So this is another example of something that seems to take relatively little effort on Alara's part to like actually master her powers because they they go into this training thing and she successfully dreamwalks into Ishra's dreams. And Ishra's dreams are snowy and mountainous. And in that dream, um, Ishra conjures a black wolf that reminds Alara of her friend Sophie somehow. And the two women go sledding in this dream before they both wake up. I did like the idea of people having their like dreamscapes. Yeah. So like going into Ishra's dreamscape, like it's not like she was actively dreaming. They're like in this like realm, like you create your own. And I really liked that. What do you guys think your dreamscapes are? Aquatic in some way. I can see that. I feel like mine would, I, I don't know. My like gut instinct is like some like library, like some like, like, have you ever read? Probably not because you guys don't read horror, but the library at Mount Char. Mm-mm. Okay, so I, I would recommend it, but I don't think either of you would like it. But just hearing the <laughs> but name. it's amazing. Because, like, you're a fiery person. And so hearing the name, like, Char, like, indicates, like, some sort of, like, it evokes a lot of imagery about, like, fire and, like, molten. And so, like, having a library in an environment like that feels very you. I It's, oh, it's such a good book. But it's, like, this, like, windy magical library where like like it's like hogwarts which is a library so like the the pathways shift the staircases shift like it like goes on forever and there's like magical areas so i think that would be my dreamscape i love that what about you katie i think mine would be like the english rolling countryside mm-hmm. in the rain oh yeah. i could totally see that for you yeah yes you have to be a little bit more specific than something aquatic yeah, does. Yeah, I, <laughs> I like water. <laughs> I'm trying to think, Atlantis. I'm trying to like base it in some amount of reality because like, like an icy underwater city is like what I would have, or like beachside something. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a dreamscape. It doesn't have to be real. Yeah, sure, but like, there's narwhals there for sure, for sure, for sure, <laughs> for sure, <laughs> for <yeah>. sure, for <laughs> sure. I kind of picture your dreamscape being that one island in Lightlark. With the the water people and like the they had a palace people? of ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I forgot what even what one that, that was. That was your house. Too. Yeah, that's the one you picked. Yeah, I <laughs> it was your house. Or, <laughs> was, was your house? Was, you know, I picture like a not. I was gonna say like a lighthouse in the middle of nowhere, and I'm like, no, that's too isolated. I like people too much. Which why <laughs> you do like people too much? <laughs> yeah, why is the real question on that? But like you know, an an icy underwater magical peaceful place i but not like dark water no right not dark like pretty water yeah it would be light and like pristine so i just i yeah like and like somehow also flowers and colorful i don't know what yeah how those things like i have a dream i have such a hard time doing it because i'm like that's not a thing (laughs) it's the whimsical thing you're not good at (laughs) oh yeah because you don't like whimsy it's not that except your dreamscape is the most whimsical of the three of us (laughs) I hate whimsy. I don't hate whimsy. I just struggle. It doesn't make any sense. You need it to make sense. Look. It doesn't make sense. 
All right. Getting back to the story. When she's back at the palace, she waits for Enzo so they can train, but he's in a foul mood and she's deflated instantly, which like, girl, <laughs> yikes, you in danger. As they spar, she asks him what the fuck his deal is and accuses him again of being a monster. He backs her into a corner physically, like into a corner, and asks her if she's seen his scars. She balks that he doesn't have any and he asks her, why do you think that might be? And leaves. Which is an interesting concept. That was unique in this book. I liked the idea that he doesn't have a single scar. I really liked that. The connotation that he's making there is like, look, I couldn't have been in all these battles and done all these things that you're saying I've done and not have a single scar on my body. So like, at that moment, I was like, are there two of him? Like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) Because she's seen him shirtless. But I also like the connotation of like, you can't see my scars. That doesn't mean I'm not scarred. Right. Yes. Because he is. He is. Very Trauma. much. So the next day, Leo trains her instead of Enzo and gives her the pat two sides to every story bit and tells her that Enzo is, quote, not so bad. All of that. You know, we've all been here. I roll. It just feels like <laughs> a much more. <laughs> it just feels to me like it would be a much more complex story if he's a war criminal and a decent guy somehow. <laughs> Yeah. But that's not what happens. One or the other. (laughs) Anyway, Leo trains her very hard, and we learn that he can wield the light as lightning. So his gift in Helios is light, but he can translate that into lightning, which is somewhat unique. Alara realizes that Enzo was going easy on her because the session that she has with Leo is, like, real fucking hard. (laughs) I love that, that Leo, like, kicks her ass whenever they train. (laughs) Yeah, me too. It's just like good cop, bad cop, and like, but they're both bad cop. It's like bad cop, worse cop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that night, she dream walks into Enzo's dreams, and rather than being a sexy dream, he's being whipped by light in front of a wall that's painted with the number 333 in blood. He tells her that it's the number of Asterians he's killed, and she tells him that he can make his dreams whatever he wants. He can make them happy, and he wants them to be happy. She kisses him on the cheek and as she kisses him on the cheek as like a start to making his dream better. And she wakes up horrified at what she's done and seen. <laughs> it feels very much like an invasion of privacy. Uh, yeah. Like I would be very upset if somebody <laughs> would dream walked into my dream and just like saw all of these things. I had one of those breathing wall dreams again last oh, night. Oh, no. I haven't had one in a while. Yeah. Do not like no, that. I don't yeah. support that, Katie. I wish you would no. not. I wish I would not either. <laughs> I, they had stopped for a while, and then last night I had one again. I was like, well, here we are. I do not like. Do mm. not like. Yeah, no. Anyway, Alara goes to a party with Leo and Marissa and Isra, and then also Enzo is there. And so when we talked about these people being friends, this is where they hang out for the first time in the same place. So question on this. They go to a party, right? Party. Yeah. Is there anyone else there? I don't remember. I think there's like a bunch of other people there. There's other people there. Okay. Yeah. Just hanging out with the... Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. We don't get any details on who these people are, like if they're part of the court or if they're just like regular ass people. Because like Marissa's a a member of staff. (laughs) Yeah, I got kind of, okay, this book is way better than Cruel Prince, but I got kind of like Cruel Prince vibes where they all just like hang out and drink, like regardless of like status. Yeah, it was very bizarre. But wait, but that that's not really, we're inferring that, right? We don't know anything right, about these other people. 
No, we know nothing about them. They're just bodies. And this party takes place in kind of a grotto with a heated spring and waterfall in the middle of it, which sounds very idyllic. But to your point, they are drinking. And Enzo is with a blonde, but he seems very bored. So there's other people here. We never figure out who the woman that was on his lap the first night was. We don't know who this blonde is. Like, there are other people kind of frolicking around. And it's like, have these guys been vetted with security? Like, who are these people? Right. Other people are making out. And Alara's a little prudish about it. She's she's like, oh, well, okay. And Leo kind of asks her, like, you know, have you never done this before? And she shares with him that she once had a lover. This is that Lucas character. But doesn't get any why anybody has like ever gets so excited about it. Like it was nothing to write home about for her. <laughs> she's Aww. had sex. She's had a lover, and I'm just like, oh baby, <laughs> you didn't though. Yeah, <laughs> not yeah. a good one. He if you're not, you yeah, or he did it wrong. Probably. Yeah, that's the one. They continue to party, and Enzo offers Ilara ambrosia, but it has a strange effect on her. She sees a prophecy of some kind, so she sees two thrones, light and darkness. And she's just kind of in this liminal space of just, like, seeing this thing that isn't really there in front of her. And when she comes to, Enzo tells her that she was just standing with her eyes closed for, like, ten minutes. <laughs> Which is really embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. And she does get embarrassed, so she leaves and goes to the maze. She's just like, well, I'm going to call it there. <laughs> this is the end of my night. <laughs> when she's in the maze, she realizes that Enzo has followed her. And in the middle of this kind of maze section there's a statue of these lovers who are embracing and very like passionate looking um it's not an indecent statue it's just a very emotive statue and so they're talking in front of the statue they flirt um enzo tells alara that if he's a monster she makes him want to be a saint and they just they end up talking about the statue and both saying that the artist really captured the emotion really well and how beautiful it is and then he walks her to her room and kisses her hand good night I think it's in this conversation, too, where they're talking about, like, the emotion in the statue. And there's some, I didn't take any notes on it, but something to the effect where, like, either the artist has, like, felt this emotion or, like, can really, like, really desires this emotion. Yeah. Um, Alara was looking at the fountain statue. It says, you can tell they must have known love deeply to produce such art. And he responds back to her. Or maybe they didn't know it at all, but carved it in the way that one craves air to breathe. Yes, I loved that. There's a lot of good quotes in this book. And there's a lot. I have a ton of quotes from this there's book. There's a lot yeah. to like about this book. But I say like, not love. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what's a little bit lackluster is that I, I really think that with some good editing and some good like coaching honestly that the this book could have been really great mm -hmm. but the just like the pacing and like some of these other things just like didn't line up enough for me and they didn't hit the way that i think right. they needed to hit too because it, it felt some of it felt a little too forced or misplaced and so like, to your point i think a little coaching really could have knocked those out of the park yeah yeah so the next scene Alara has her monthly and for some reason enzo comes to help her saying that she's late for training and he, like, is immediately a different person. He gets her chocolates when she asks for them, uses his magic to make his hands a heating pad for his for her stomach. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> this is a different person. Uh, yeah, that I was like, what character? We have no consistency. 
No, absolutely not. It's like a switch has been flipped. And now he's like very sweet and caring. And you're just like, what? Well, you were an asshole literally five minutes ago. (laughs) Right. Now you're not. Okay, cool. Gotcha. 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 So he's using his hands as a heating pad on her stomach and she falls asleep and pulls him into her dreamscape with her and things start to get heated. And then they both wake up and are very aware of what happened. (laughs) And they're both just like, we're not going to talk about this ever. Cool. Cool. Record scratch. (laughs) And then this interlude stops and they continue to train and keep each other at arm's length. So like, I don't understand. (laughs) It's just like, uh, uh, stop, stop, start, stop, start, stop. That's where I felt like this book was like cock blocking, like every step of the way. Yeah. In this montage of keeping each other at a at an arm's length, they do the secret trading game at some point. And Alara shares with Enzo that Sophia's mother, the commander of the Asterian army, taught her and Sophia how to fight. But that Sophia's mother was found dead years ago um, and under kind of suspicious circumstances. She looked like she had died of fright which was creepy as hell, and then it never comes up again. Yeah, I was yeah, really what the fuck? fascinated by that, and I would like to have known more. Maybe in book two. Maybe. She also tells him that Sophia trained her in secret with her magic, as her parents deeply disapproved of her using her magic at all. They didn't want her to become a target. Like, they didn't want anybody to know this about her. As she talks about... Um, her magic in this training we get the impression that she in some way used her magic against lucas for some reason but we don't get a whole lot of detail on this right now enzo presses her about the last time she'd had to use her magic and she told him about the men in the alley when she arrived and he's restrained but furious tells her that that will never happen to her again i actually don't have written down the secrets that he shared with her so this very feels like very (laughs) one-sided I didn't write it down either, and I also don't remember. I don't think he actually shared anything with her at this point. I'm looking right now, but... Des will find it. Yeah, I don't think he actually tells her anything. (laughs) So it's really just, like, getting to know all about one of you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) After this, the next morning, she wakes up and smells smoke. She runs out into the palace courtyard, and Marissa tells her that there will be a public execution, which is kind of a rare thing. Enzo has the men who attacked Alara when she first arrived in the city. They've been beaten and they are condemned for rape. Enzo burns them alive with his magic. Which is metal as fuck. (laughs) This is the first metal as fuck scene and we get a couple and I'm here for it. Yeah. This is the part where I was like, okay, maybe I'm into this. Like, this is fine. And I like the, who did this to you? I'm going to protect you. But how did he know who the men were? Uh, so, I mean, she I said know. where. <laughs> uh, right, but it was, like, outside of, like, a bar or something. Maybe. She like, did say the specific bar, and he can see people, right? So. Oh, I forgot oh, about yeah. that. Okay, okay, okay. Because I was like, you just found, like, three men. Like, I, what if they were the wrong men? <laughs> yeah. Elara is not happy about this, though. She runs into the forest and weeps, and when Enzo meets her there... She accuses him of betraying her trust, that basically she told her, told him this thing in confidence and that now the lives of these men are on her conscience. So Enzo tells her that it's his kingdom and hearing her tell him what happened in his land made him viscerally upset and he reacted accordingly and that Alara can't take that from him. It, she, he would have acted the same 
for anybody that that had happened to. And she ends up forgiving him and says that he owes her a secret. So, oh, yes, she did, he didn't tell her a secret in the secret game. Had I just read my notes a little bit later, we would not have spent so long in that. But his secret that he shares with her is that he created the fountain that they had talked about the night of the party. And she asks if he's ever been in love, and he demurs as it's another secret. She talks about Lucas, who emotionally abused her until finally she used her power on him and he left her alone. Sophia was the one that helped her and encouraged her to do that. So her perspective is that Lucas only wanted to keep her for himself as a possession, was always jealous of her power, and kept her down because of it. Enzo tells her that she deserves to be loved and adored, and she admits that she wants more than love. She wants reverence, and girl, yes! (laughs) Yes, I felt this so hard! And then he responded with, I think you would be very easy to worship. Yeah! (laughs) She basically says something like, I want to be revered. Is that too much to ask? And I'm just like, no, I don't see a problem with that. I just see no problem with that. And he's like, right. right? It's not too much to ask, and I will get on my knees for you. So in this conversation, Alara also reveals the other side of the prophecy, which I thought that already happened because Ishra said it, but I guess Enzo missed that. He wasn't listening because she definitely said it. Yeah. (laughs) I had that question, too. I was like, we already know this. So, okay, this is another thing that I wish was a thing, but wasn't. But they're interrupted in this conversation by a growl, which turns out to be a big black wolf, kind of like the one that she saw in Ishra's dreamscape. And Alara recognizes it. And there's this, like, insinuation that it's Sophia based on imagery that happened earlier. But, like, it's not. It means nothing. (laughs) This wolf never comes back. Sophia doesn't have any association with wolves. Like, I don't know where this went. I don't. That, to me, was also amusing. And I kind of got the feeling that. Okay, we're all writers here. Have you ever, like, put something in a book and then you, like, later scratch that thing so it doesn't make sense? I feel like that's what happened here, but she didn't get all of them. Yeah. I feel that. And I think part of the reason it feels that way, and I, I've experienced this with a few books lately, where, like, so there's so much over-the-head hitting with information in a book that when you have something that you, you sort of leave for the reader to figure out, it feels like a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're like, meh. And then because this one never closes the loop, I'm like, was it a mistake? Also, like, this intentional? homegirl's mom dying from fright. Like, yeah. Wait, can we go back to that, please? <laughs> right. Because I would love to know about that. I'm fascinated. Yeah. But no. Maybe the Black Wolf thing becomes apparent in book two. Maybe. Maybe. So she names this wolf Astra and they leave the wolf there in peace to return to the palace. I was like, why? Wait, bring the wolf back as a pet. What the hell? I also had that also, question. Like, why name it? Yeah. <laughs> why are you going to name it if you're just going to be like, okay, bye, wolfie. <laughs> bye, Astra. It's like, you didn't actually name it. You just like saw a wolf and then went home. Right. <laughs> like, what? It's like if you go to the zoo and name a zoo animal and then go home. <laughs> right. Like never return. <laughs> yeah. That's my flamingo. His name is Curtis. <laughs> This is Curtis. <laughs> Bye, Curtis. <laughs> See, See you never. never. <laughs> so anyway, the next morning, Alara is summoned to an audience with the king, King Idris, and he tells her that there is an opportunity for them to learn more about Ariette's plans by having her and Enzo attend a masquerade ball that Ariette is throwing. Cue the ball scene. The ball scene. It's a ball. Okay, so they're immediately at the ball afterwards, and I had so many questions. <laughs> I had 
no it's time. a masquerade ball and the king's like usually i would send my own men in well versed on the art of seduction and spying but instead i'm gonna send you if he doesn't explain why he doesn't send his own men like, usually i would oh that's the end of the statement okay what i'm gonna send Two of my most valuable assets, my prisoner, which is the princess he's looking for, and my son. (laughs) The heir to my throne. And to be clear, they have to go to this masquerade ball in Asteria. So, like, (laughs) this this could go tits up real fucking quick. (laughs) Tits up. (laughs) Yeah, it's really poor planning for the king, and I'm not really sure what he thought was going to happen. Also, the thing of, like, they did not explain how they were getting to the ball, and so they're getting ready for the ball in the palace. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Did they travel to Asteria? Where are we? Right? And we there get was this, no montage. This, this thing drove me crazy. <laughs> and, okay, so the, in this scene, she's getting ready for the ball, and her handmaiden is just mysteriously gone. Like, Marissa fucked off for, like, four yeah, hours. The- yeah. And so what? she's trying to get into her corset and then Enzo's there and has sure. to help her. <laughs> and my note here is like, two, how did they get here? Doesn't it take weeks? It took her weeks to get in and out of Asteria. What the fuck is happening? Also, right, you can't put there. a corset on yourself. Like, is it a flexibility thing? Like, I don't. It's pretty it's easy to do. she's out of practice. I guess. <laughs> she's been wearing nothing. It was just very disjointed. And they, yeah. so yeah. Enzo comes in and like helps her into the corset and like then they leave. That's it. Yeah. So none of that scene had to happen. And they, there's not even a great one line fixer for like where Marissa is. Like she's just not there. No. <laughs> and then she's not there for like a while. I will say that there is this part that I, this quote that I really like where Enzo let up a harsh breath of impatience. I do not just tolerate you, Alara. You are my favorite part of the day. I also love that he said it kind of with impatience, just like, ah, you idiot. <laughs> right, like, just pay attention to me. So the way that they get to Asteria, they're getting ready in Helion, but they are going to take a boat from Helion to, is it Helion or Helios? Am I saying that wrong? Helios. Helios. Okay, they're in Helios. But they're going to take a boat because remember I said Asteria is a peninsula. It still feels like that boat trip is going to take a while, but I guess not. And then, but why didn't she take a boat? That's a great fucking question. Why did it (laughs) take her her weeks weeks. on land? Yeah. But they can just boop in one night. And just, we're just there ready to party. Yeah. So they go and they're ostensibly looking for information on Ariette and looking for Elara's friend Sophie. Um, Elara runs immediately into the sun god guy, Leon, and <laughs> basically, like, both of them have no chill. I'm surprised that nobody figured out it was her sooner, but she also dances with another Asterian noble who looks familiar, but she can't really place, and they kind of just have this weird back and forth, and nothing really comes of that. Do you think this is that other trickster god that she danced with? Oh, I actually don't know. We never really get a a hard answer on that, but I think it is. I would like that. I I never really, I honestly didn't think about it too hard. Anyway, we don't really know that. She dances with these people and then Enzo gets like really jealous and they go out of the main ballroom and into like this carriage courtyard situation. Parking lot. (laughs) 
all of these carriages, no horses. They're just like set up for like intimate compartments later. It's oh, <laughs> it's kind of like the scene in Titanic. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Intentional like, cars for people to fuck in. Yeah, it's and fine. in this this carriage that they've absconded into, Enzo kind of tells Alara that he fancies her, but they immediately leave and get back to the mansion. And I'm like, the whiplash. They step out of the carriage, they go out onto a balcony, and Enzo goes back and like gets them water or something. So she's alone on this balcony. And while she's alone, she's approached by Lucas, who seems like a real piece of work. He's very entitled to her attention, her physical form, and he puts his hands on her. And Enzo returns and gives him a knocking about after Lucas calls Alara a light whore. A light whore. Before his ass kicking, Lucas does reveal that Sophie is alive and being held like bait for Alara. And that feels like a trap. It's so trap-like, I can't even tell you how trap-like this is. Because, of course, they try to go and find her. (laughs) It's a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. Yeah. So while, (laughs) while they're going to find her, we're instantly in closeness, like immediate intimacy territory. Because Alara says this line that Enzo quote, always seemed to know exactly what she was feeling. Girl, since when? Since when right. does he know your feelings? Because he's been an asshole this entire time. Right. He, yeah, no, it doesn't make any sense. Except they for have... that weird interlude with the period, but like. And which was weird. <laughs> very weird. And of course she finds Sophia and Ariette finds her. So Naturally. he traps Alara by making her swallow a drop of his blood so she can't wield magic against him. And there is this other star there her name is Jem, and she's a trickster so he's like being aided and abetted by other stars to entrap alara ariette throws sophia and alara in the dungeons and enzo is nowhere to be found he's just fucked right off just wherever marissa is (laughs) Jem and ariette are real pieces of work so i mentioned what ariette is the god of before but Jem is twins so she has a twin brother named eli and both of them together are the patron stars of castor and they are gods of riddles cunning and knowledge um sorry eli is the god of riddles cunning and knowledge gem is the goddess of spite and trickery their other names are the silver-tongued so as you might guess this goes uh very very south very fast there's a torture montage both physical torture from whipping from Ariette and mental torture from Jem, who can um, basically go into somebody else's mind and make them hallucinate and rip open their deepest memories and deepest fears and make them relive that all over again. No big deal. Sophie is in the next cell to Alara, and her presence is really one of the only things that helps Alara from going mad. At some point in this torture montage, Eli, the other twin comes in to give Elara healing because Enzo has bought his favor. And the reason that you, or the, the way that you buy a god's favor in this book is that each of them has a different price. So Eli's price was that Enzo had to tell him a secret that could hurt Enzo if it was ever used against him. Eli tells Elara that Enzo is raising all the favor he has to get Elara back. And as a final touch, Eli puts a mental shield in Elara's mind as well so that she can fend off Jem more effectively i did really like i i like the the way the gods work in this book that they are present characters and i liked that getting their favor and all of that situation i thought the interest i thought the favor was a very interesting thing right yeah so that they 
they're beholden to you, but they also have power over you. It was an yes. interesting concept. Um, and all of the gods' favor is different. So he buys a couple of other gods' favors, and you'll, we'll, we'll talk through what those specifically are. But I like that it was not just like, a, oh, this one thing, or you have to go on like a quest. Well, like, it's here's like a bunch of money or whatever. Right, yeah. exactly. And it like depends on the god. And they seemed pretty like, they were unique. To, I mean, yes, they were unique. But like to what the gods were of, like the trickster gods having like a secret that can use against you. I feel like they all like aligned. Yeah. And I, and yeah. I liked that. I did too. At some point, Lucas comes to gloat, and Alara tells him about the prophecy, and apparently he somehow didn't know about the prophecy. Which, what, how? Uh, yeah. Everyone else know. I, I, so they start the book out by saying that only stars know the prophecy, but that's, like, patently false. There right, are a lot of like, people that know about the prophecy. The king knows about the prophecy. Like, lots of people know about the prophecy. Right. So I don't know how Lucas didn't. But eventually, Ariette comes for... Alara and tells her that they'll attend a ballet and a banquet, not necessarily to, in that order. No, why you? I don't know if you have somebody as a prisoner. Why would you dress them up and take them out in public? Like I just don't understand. Like I, I just <laughs> like to a ballet, right? Like right. maybe like a field trip. Maybe walk them through town with a bag. bag of no, you want people to, like I just, I just I don't understand. I don't get this either, and it, it feels very much like if you're gonna do that, put some like safety net around it, right? Like drug her or like put a collar on her. Like I don't know, like use your magic to like handicap her. Right. Literally this entire scene that we're gonna go through, like Alara is under her own like is is operating under her own power. Like she's not incapacitated in any way she the only thing that she has that's like within her is the fact that she can't use her magic against ariette because he made her swallow his blood but also nobody except for the stars can use their power within the palace because it's been warded so like but she's just free to walk around like it's right, very like, weird what kind of prison system is this <laughs> so she tries to um yeah, she, she tries to bargain for Sophie's freedom, but fails epically at that. So Sophie's stuck in the dungeon. Sorry, girl. Sorry, and Sophie. Ariat takes her up to like the main palace, and he glamours her to look okay rather than actually bathing her. And I can't Witches. help, I can't help but think that she actually has to stink still. Yeah, like, she must. We don't know how glamour I'm works. Thinking, so who knows? I but it know. feels like it has to work like Scorchify does. Like, that you're still dirty. You just don't look dirty. Yeah, you just, you look clean. Mm. Yeah. And not, like, bloody and beaten anymore. Like, you, you just, you look fine. <laughs> you look fine. It's you very look fine. weird. You look great. So he dresses her in, like, blood red because he's the god of war and likes that shit. And when she goes to the banquet, Eli and Jem are there. But there's a couple of other stars as well. So we have the god of indulgence, Sagitton. He's the patron star of Kaos and the god of wine, madness, and ecstasy. His other name is the Reveler. We have the weeping goddess, Cancia. So Cancia is the patron star of Altaloon, the goddess of pain, emotions, and lakes. And then finally, we have Capri. And Capri is not in alphabetical order, which is (laughs) awesome. For the record, like, none of this super matters a whole, whole lot. Like... It's, it doesn't. It, 
some of them it does like when like in the future stories but like these attendees not not hugely relevant not hugely important and so like listeners if you're like who are these people should i keep track of their names don't like it's cool to know just from like a astrological situation but it's not hugely important so especially helpful that we do have the like glossary of who they are like so Mm -hmm. listeners if you go to read this you also don't have to keep track because like you can always go back and look Right, exactly. Which is great. Thank you, author. Also, can we didn't talk about this in the beginning. I love that she put the character glossary in the front of the book and not in the back of the yeah. book. Right, because then you finish the book and you realize, oh, there's a glossary. That would have been helpful. And, yeah, because I don't look at the back. Yeah, I, I, that's one of the reasons I said, like, when I started this book, I was like, oh, this book should be perfect for us because it's got the things that we're asking for right <laughs> yeah. out of the gate. <laughs> no, no. Great. No, no. <laughs> So anyway, Capri is the patron star of the Sinner's Sands, the god of greed, money, and merchants. His other name is the Devil. There's also a bunch of other humans there, and they're all kind of having a nice time. During the banquet, Alara stabs Ariette in the thigh with a butter knife, and he makes her dance with him. So literally, that happens in sequence. She stabs him in the thigh, and he's like, ha, 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 dance with me. <laughs> so he's dancing wounded. Well. <laughs> like but at the end of this dance, it's kind of this very manic, all over the place dance. And at the end of it, he bites her on the neck, like not in a vampire hot way, like dull human teeth bites like, her why? and f- forces his magic into her through Which the bite. Is, I feel like there were other ways to go about disgusting. that. Uh, yeah, it yeah. feels very bad and gross. I didn't like it. It just seems invasive. Yeah, and I, I think that's on brand for his character, but like, yeah, oof, Stark in here. <laughs> but I don't, ugh, yeah, I didn't like it. So when she when he does this, Cancia scolds him that Alara needs to be in public and okay in an hour, and so Ariette allows Cancia to take Alara away and clean her up. And while they're kind of alone, Cancia tells Alara that Enzo also bought her favor by telling her his greatest fear. I can't help but think all of these favors are going to be the same answer. They're going to relate to Alara in some way. Yeah. yeah, 100%. Anyway, so she cleans her up and Alara is starting to feel less woozy from Ariette's power. And back in the banquet hall, Toro, the love goddess, arrives. But in her group, the follower in her group of followers is also Marissa. So Toro is the goddess of love. She is the patron saint of Aphrodia. So remember, Marissa is half Aphrodian. And she is the goddess of lust, charm, earthly pleasure, and adultery. Other name is Seductress. Seductress. So Marissa is part of her followers, and Alara tries to get to her. Instead of reaching Marissa, she runs into the man on Marissa's arm instead, and she feels the magic of Torah, like, influencing her. So, like, all of these gods have auras. Ariette makes people around him antsy and, like, violent, and Toro has this effect of making people horny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so she bumps into this guy and she's just like oh man you're hot it's kind of what i would imagine being on e is like and she, they're just like pawing each other and they somehow are able to go into a room together Question right like mark? who is watching this prisoner <laughs> right <laughs> like what <laughs> you guys have one job yep Literally. i don't understand it at all yeah i'm like where are the guards <laughs> like does it these like, like no amateur one hour is, over here it so quickly she's like very close to making out with this person and she realizes that it's enzo in a glamour he tells her that they have an escape plan 
that uh, is going to be enacted when they're at the ballet. And then they just start going at it. (laughs) Yeah, they do. (laughs) He slams her against the door, and I have several thoughts. One, she still hasn't washed herself. Two, her back is still healing from being whipped. And three, is now really the time, guys? <laughs> it's well, not. It's not the time at isn't all. Isn't it the aura? Like, they're they're being affected by the, like, the lustful yes, aura? Yes, they are. Kind yes. of, yeah. But, like... <laughs> Come on, guys. Get it together. I mean, okay, so thank God Marissa has some sense and finds them. And she's like, really, guys? She says the things out loud that I was thinking, which is great. <laughs> right, like, is now? We're going to do this now? <laughs> yeah. And so she's also somehow able to use her glamour magic despite the words on the palace. And she, like, cleans them both up a little bit. Anyway, they go to the ballet. Obviously not together. So Alara goes with Ariette and Tora and the, the Marissa and Enzo kind of fuck off. As they're watching the ballet, Alara realizes that it's her story that Ad- Ariette has crafted for her. Leo, posing as a, like, a server guy, slips her a note saying he knows. And she intuits that to mean that Ariette knows of the plan somehow. In the final act of the ballet, Sophia is brought on stage, like the actual Sophia is brought on stage and killed, which is awful, but who didn't see that coming? I know. She had to. She was a liability. She was a huge liability. Um, Damn. But Alara's reaction is so badass. So she glamours her own death, glamours every single person. She, like, makes the illusion seem real that she, they're, like, in a balcony box and the illusion that she creates is her jumping off of that balcony to her death and she escapes and meets up with Enzo and the others she tears the dress that she has off the like red dress and jewels and in the process Enzo sees the evidence of the torture that she's been under which like did you think that they were having tea and reading books for like a month like I don't know what you thought was happening here but it wasn't fun I mean to be fair they brought her to a ballet (laughs) I guess (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I know. I yeah. He his reaction, I feel like, is too surprised. Yeah. And so, as a, in reaction, he orders Marissa to glamour him so he can go back into the theater and do something. The rest of them, so it's Leo, Marissa, Isra, and Alara. They make their way to a boat on the beach so they can go back to Asteria. And I have thoughts about this really quick, but the next metal as fuck scene happens very soon right here. So they're waiting on the beach for Enzo by the boat. And they're like, we got to go. We got to go. Where is he? We got to go. And in the distance, they can see the theater that the ballet was in exploding in flames. And they're like, (laughs) oh, that feels bad. And shortly thereafter, (laughs) Enzo comes to the boat and he is dragging a beaten Lucas in tow. He throws Lucas at the feet of Alara, and Alara suffocates Lucas with her shadows as he begs for mercy. She asks Lucas if he told Ariette about their plan, and Lucas denies it, but she's like, hmm, Enzo, maybe you should ask him. And so Enzo carves the words light whore into Lucas's chest and then takes him bodily into the water and drowns him. Metal and then they leave. Fuck. <laughs> so metal. Yeah, Holy my shit. God. I was so here. here for that whole thing. I was too. Holy shit. Also, I love that this author has no mercy for <laughs> rapists and just 
douchebaggers. No. no. Yeah. And I, I love, so, you know, guys, I know we started this book out feeling a little lukewarm, but the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, I mean, look, cool I'm man. still lukewarm <laughs> about, so I remember telling you or texting you guys, like, the last 20% of this book is the book that I wish it had been the entire time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so I, I would read the second book because I think that it's going to be like the last 20% of this yeah. book. Well, and I need to read the, we're definitely not there yet, but I need to read the la- the second book because of the way this book ends. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. truly. Okay, so <laughs> now uh, I'm going to bring up the map because I have questions. So they're getting into a boat to leave and go back to Helios. But... I just answered this question for myself. So (laughs) you'll remember that when they went to the ball, they used a boat and like had no problems. This crossing that they're trying to make now is also in a boat, but it's more treacherous because it's like there are things in the lake that can kill you and often do. And so nobody crosses the lake kind of Mm. thing. And so my question was, why was this not a problem the first time? And it's because it's a different body of water. So they're crossing a lake, not the ocean different place okay i had that question too and i didn't go back to look at the map so i'm glad that you answered that question for me as well yeah so as they're what (laughs) yeah like it doesn't make any sense so as they as they're sailing across this lake they're attacked by sirens enzo and alara are not affected by their spell and are kind of trying to keep leo and isra and marissa from like jumping off the board (laughs) to their death but as soon as the, sir- the sirens realize that they're not affected, they're like, oh, okay, this is going to be more fun if we take one of you. So they grab Enzo and take him under overboard and underwater. Ilara dives in after him. She sees his lifeless body at the bottom of the lake, and silver-lighted power erupts from her, and she brings him back to the surface. They're hauled back into the boat by the others. Enzo comes back to consciousness, and the sirens take the silver light as a sign of some kind, and then they vow to ferry the group across the lake safely which i thought was pretty cool it was really cool and it's also not like super explained like it's just this shift and so i liked those yeah cookie crumbs because this isn't a power that she has she can't wield light right enzo can and it's not the warm gold light that enzo has or lightning like leo has right the further they get away from the gods and Asteria, the more Alara's mind starts to fracture. So you remember Eli put that patch in her brain so that she would like be able to weather Jem's torture, but that doesn't erase what happened to her. Right. When they arrive in Helios, her neck wound is festering where Ariette bit her and she forces um, the light out of her like consciousness by keeping her eyes closed. So she is at once like, not wanting to open her eyes to the light, but also when she closes her eyes, she just sees the terrible images that Jem placed in her brain and all of the things that she went through just over and over and over again. She won't fully awaken when she's back at the palace. Enzo takes care of her, bathes her, surrounds her with warmth warmth and safety until she can finally open her eyes. And one day as she, as he's washing her hair, he hums a song and she finishes it for him. She says that it's an old Asterian tune and he says that he dreamed of it a long time ago and the song is i loved him more than the dark loves night he loved me more than the day loves light which i thought was a really beautiful line it is it was really beautiful yeah it'd be really nice like wedding vows it really would 
So this is a healing montage, and Enzo stays by her side every night when she wakes up screaming. It's clear that the king is kind of instructing the healers that are attending her as well to keep her drugs so she's not a threat to anyone. And one night, Enzo's just had it and takes her onto the balcony for fresh air, and they talk about their scars. Enzo shares with Alara that King Idris would whip Enzo with light and then have the healers heal him so he has no scars. And eventually Enzo was powerful enough to fight back and he killed the, fa- the healer that abetted his father. Dark. Yeah. This also doesn't explain why he wouldn't have battle scars, but it does kind of paint the picture of the scars that he has are mental as well. Yeah, and it does, it's sort of a patch for, like, you can heal away scars, so even, like, the battle scars can be healed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the next day, he takes her out into the rain and baits her into sparring with him, tries to bait her into more, but she resists. He gives her a dagger that um, she he found in the palace before they fled Asteria, and it turns out that it's a special dagger. I think it's, like, her dad's or something like that, and she was, like, mourning its loss. It's kind of like her coming back to who she is, but it's a very slow process. Yeah, but it's that, like, it's, it's a healing montage. Yeah, because when they're back in her room, she kind of talks about how she feels guilty for Sophie's death, and Enzo tells her that Sophie would want her to live, and <laughs> she asks why he's being so kind to her, and he's like, I'm not sure you're ready to have that conversation. And I'm like, by all means, let's delay the plot more, please. Right, like, okay. So the next day, they go out into part of Helios to get Alara's mind off of her grief. And in this moment, it strikes me that if they were to fall in love, I'm not sure how that would work with their kingdoms being sworn enemies and also them both being only children. Yeah. But maybe I'm overthinking that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but he takes her to um, his studio in the city where he sculpts marble statues like the one that was in that palace maze. He tells her that he's never shown this place to anyone before and that... His art is how he heals and that he's hoping that it will help her heal as well, which I thought was really sweet and thoughtful. Yeah, and she asks him it. she asks him to show her, and so he starts sculpting with his light magic, and it's just this really like pretty ghost scene. <laughs> ghost scene. Sorry, it took me a second to pick that one up. <laughs> but like they, she doesn't sculpt with him. She just watches him sculpt. Not yet. Fair. Yeah, it becomes a super ghost scene, and I'm a fan. Big fan. But this this also turns into a healing montage, right? They spend weeks like this, and eventually Alara starts to return to normal. She meets other artists. She trains with Isra. But the one thing that she's not doing is seeking out Marissa. She's grown close to Marissa, feels like she's her friend, and she feels guilty like she's replacing Sophia. And in this kind of montage, one day she does ask Enzo to teach her how to sculpt, and they try this ghost scene pottery moment (laughs) like he he gives her a chunk of marble and then he's behind her and like guides her hands and then they both conduct their magic to carve this piece of stone and it's a really intense scene like they both have um very lustful feelings Mm -hmm. when they're doing it it's it's lusty (laughs) yeah so uh they 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 don't do it for long because they're both kind of caught off guard. And the result of their combined light and dark power, because she's using her shadow mancing and he's using his light, is dusk glass. So you remember what Isra said, what feels like a year ago, in the beginning <laughs> of the book, that they need dusk glass to help them kill a star. They run to tell Isra, and she confirms that this will enable them to kill a star. If 
the glass pierces the star's skin, it will render their power null and void. But that Alara and Enzo will have to finish the job, right? So the glass itself doesn't kill them. They'll, they're still going to have to, like, stab them or something. It just will make them easier to kill. Yeah. It nullifies the magic. Yeah. Isra also hints that them sharing power means something. And we later find out from Enzo that it's an intimate act reserved for betrothed or lovers, which begs the question why he told her to do it when they were working <laughs> together. Like, if you knew that. Right. Because he definitely knew that. Yeah. This isn't like news to him. No. Anyway, they hatch a plan to spend the summer solstice in Aphrodia in order to lure Ariette into a trap so they can kill him. So they go to a, co- a cove to cool off and debrief, and the whole way Enzo prods Alara about whether she really wouldn't care if he was with another woman, because when Isra brought up the fact that, like, they were sharing power and that's an intimate thing, she's just like, oh, yeah, no, we're just friends. Like, that's so weird. I, I don't care uh, about anything it going to, you know, Aphrodia and, like, you it's can fine. fuck other women. I don't care. I have no feelings. And so Enzo's like, are you sure about that? <laughs> and... <laughs> She finally relents and tells him that the thought disgusts her. The thought of him with somebody else disgusts her and that she would care. And when they go swimming, he admits that he feels the same way. They talk about what happened in Asteria with Tora's power. And Enzo tells her that he regrets it because he felt like it should have been, he should have been better. He should have resisted like almost he, like he was taking advantage of her. It's such a sweet scene. Um, but I feel like he's already, like, told her he likes her multiple times. But Yeah. I, and shown I, that. And and shown that. And it, it, it starts to feel kind of repetitive where I'm just like, okay, can you just, like. Can you just sh- give in to the feelings? Right. Like, shit or get off the pot. Like, you clearly yeah. like each other. There's still some questions as to, like, why we have this sudden intimacy. But, like, I guess you did help her heal for, like, months. So I just listen well yeah i do kind of get the idea of like handling her with kid gloves a little bit yes but and the stolen feel... kiss is really nice but it does really feel like a study in cock blocks <laughs> it's such a study in cock blocks because they get interrupted like a hundred billion times so after this swim they go back to the palace and enzo officially asks her to go to the solstice in aphrodia as his date and she agrees and asks that he stop sleeping in the chair by her bed and join her instead in bed. And I like it because he's like, you don't have to beg me to come to your bed. <laughs> and she's just like, yeah. no, that's not. I mean, OK, fine. <laughs> yeah, OK, <laughs> fine, fine, fine. Yeah, fine. Get in my bed. <laughs> and look, I was here for this. And then he signs off with good night, beautiful. And I am so triggered. <laughs> really? Why does it yeah. trigger you? I just like all of the shitty guys that I've ever dated would say like good morning beautiful or good oh night, you're beautiful. right just like very fuck pat. off there are other adjectives don't put your trauma you on call everyone me else good night <laughs> good night my hot honey biscuit like come on oh i want to be a hot honey biscuit right <laughs> a buttery biscuit <laughs> yeah. i like it good morning beautiful or good night beautiful like i love that i think it's very sweet look and that i'm not trying to yuck anybody else's yum i was just personally triggered <laughs> <laughs> i I think I fall in the middle because, like, Katie, I know what you're saying, and I've had a lot of those, like, flingy type boys. Like, I don't think I've had a guy who, like, actually cares about me say those things. So I'm just like, no, okay. (laughs) But I wish that wasn't true because it would be lovely. I've had it on both sides for sure. I just, for me, 
the good morning beautiful is the least egregious thing that an asshole has ever done for me uh, fair okay fair <laughs> very fair in the morning marissa knocks on alara's door and they alara and enzo wake up and they're both kind of caught out they're just like oh this isn't what it looks like and marissa's just kind of like uh-huh it's about damn time yep Anyway, they discuss the plan for Aphrodite and the summer solstice, and apparently there is a risque dance that Alara should learn. So Marissa takes Alara away. I love this and scene. And there's this risque dance <laughs> that they have to learn. And they need to, like, plan all of these outfits so that the world knows that the Queen of Hysteria lives, like, all of this stuff. It's very much like a, we're going to make a statement, and, like, how do we make you do this? How do we help you okay. get there? Which I love. But it's not just, like, oh, she's going to go to the ball and be seen by everybody. It's, like, she's going to be a part of this, like, very formal dance in which you have to dance in a very sexy way with a partner and oh your partner is the prince and you will be basically seducing him in a very public setting okay formal dance gives the wrong impression here because it's basically a lap dance yeah. it's it's, it's, like, formal. it's a stripper sesh <laughs> it's it's traditional it's That's not formal <laughs> the traditional dance that people in afrodia dance on the summer solstice is a lap dance but the thing that i love just communal lap dance so she goes to learn this and marissa is teaching her this dance and isra is there just like cat calling the entire time and it's very I funny know. <laughs> and marissa's like don't you have something better to do and isra's like i really don't <laughs> like, i truly have nowhere else i need to be right now <laughs> And the best part about this is, like, this is a plan concocted solely from Marissa and Isra's perspective. And, like, Alara's bought in, but, like, Enzo doesn't know this is going to happen. Right. Like, they very specifically say, like, you know, this is going to happen. He's he's going to participate because it's, like, customary for guests to participate in this traditional, very inappropriate lap dance. dance. And then <laughs> he's going to be so surprised when it's you that's going to give him the lap dance. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. They're such, like, wing women. They're, like... You know, this is a traditional thing needs to happen, but we're also like we're gonna help them out. <laughs> right, exactly. You keep getting cock blocked. Let's let's move this shit along. <laughs> so it's the day of the summer solstice, and instead of just going to the fun part immediately, they have to go to church first. Which seems so weird. I'm so out on this whole thing, man. <laughs> I they have to show I, face. Well, Marissa at one point yeah. says, "I've never seen such beautiful sinners about to step into a church." Yeah. So they have to go to the temple of Leon to like show face and like support the god or whatever because it's like Leon is their patron god. They're the rulers. Like it would be a bad thing if they didn't show support in that way. But there's a lot of people going to this temple because it's like it's like Easter for Christians. Like everybody goes to church. So they don't want Alara to be recognized, and so they all wear veils, and so they're all dressed up like really fancy with these veils on and that's when marissa says that thing about <laughs> we look like a bunch of beautiful sinners going beautiful to sinners <laughs> but um this feels very much like a security risk just like the logistics of this because they, there's like a mob scene outside of the temple and like the prince and everybody is just kind of like elbowing their like, way excuse through. me <laughs> excuse coming me through. pardon me excuse me prince coming through excuse me like I... dude somebody could just like stab you just like, shank you yeah there's like no security i feel like ever for no. these royal families <laughs> no and no, not at all to the same extent like i get the stars are hard to kill but they're also just like bopping around like 
It's also so in this in this temple scene, like Alara and Marissa and everyone can't sit with Enzo. Enzo sits with his dad, and there's like this communion bit where they go up and they have to like take a vow before they get blessed. And the vow is like, do you renounce the darkness? And Enzo makes eye contact with Alara and he's like, definitely <laughs> wink. <laughs> He pauses, and the like the church guy is like, "Um, hello." <laughs> Renounce Earth the darkness, <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, no, for <laughs> sure." He's like, "I totes do." Yeah, I definitely am not thinking about fucking the darkness right now. <laughs> would love to bang the darkness, <laughs> right? Ten out of ten would bang. Hello, darkness, my old friend. So after church, they have to go to a luncheon with the church staff people and which is so weird why it's so weird it's just so like i don't know but it king idris isn't there which i guess is a blessing but in, in this luncheon the women take their veils off so it's clear who elara is and the the like head priest guy really is unhappy that elara is there um, he calls her a witch and asks for her to be removed from the temple completely. And actually, Leo and Isra come to her defense first before Enzo can even react. The priest is eventually cowed by Enzo and the lunch is over. But <laughs> That's it. <laughs> this seemed like a very much an excuse to show solidarity, but I wonder, it, it made me wonder if the priest is going to come back as a problem later. And he does. Spoiler, Spoiler alert. <laughs> he is a big problem. They go back to the palace and near where they had that weird lawn party before they go behind the waterfall and there's a go between a, that's a technical term from the book and go betweens allow them. They're essentially like wormholes and they allow them to go to a place that's much further away, much faster. That super felt and like a so, one line fixer. And I was very annoyed by that. Yes. Yeah. Cause Me why didn't we have any of those, any of our other travels? Well, and it, it's not guarded at all, right? No, you could just go. Well, and especially since this one is so close to the palace, it just seems like a huge liability. Yeah. But anyway, th- it makes going to Aphrodia really, really fast, a matter of minutes. Someone says that they believe the casters. So there's a group of people called the casters that uh, they made them because they're really good at bending reality. But again, very one line fixery. Aphrodia is an interesting looking place. So it's basically like cotton candy land and like Greco-Roman mythology had a love child. I kind of hate it. <laughs> yeah, I also hated it. I was like, this sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. <laughs> it's like perpetually spring, even though it's the summer solstice. There's just like flowers everywhere and like everything's pink. And I don't hate it it just feels like a lot it's just yeah it's just a lot yeah anyway they arrive in Aphrodia and they go to the palace they're greeted by the two queens there who are impressed by Alara and wish her well but basically tell her not to fuck their shit up because they'll cut her (laughs) like hey (laughs) you and your drama stay away from me thank you yeah by that logic I think it would be like no (laughs) go away yeah (laughs) no right no, I shan't. <laughs> so the sexy dance goes off without a hitch. And Elara basically dry humps Enzo on the floor <laughs> in front of a lot of people. It's the weirdest thing. I was really excited because I thought this was going to have like a lot of like steamy, like 
parts of it. Like, I thought it was going to be written in a very steamy way with, like, a lot of restraint, right? Like, I love the restraint. And I thought I was going to get a lot of visible restraint and a, and a payoff from this particular section. Uh-huh. And I was disappointed. Yeah. You got no restraint. They were just like, we're just going to hump. <laughs> yeah, because he gets, he, he goes into it. Like, he's, it. He participates, right? So, like... He is a willing participant. I would have liked it better if he was restrained, just like, ugh. But the whole point is for them to go and make a scene. And at some point before this, Marissa had had told Alara that Enzo has never gone with a date anywhere. He doesn't ha- He doesn't do dates. And so this is the first time that he's shown up somewhere with a female companion that he's identified as, this is my date, XYZ person. So, like, that was a thing. But also, they wanted to make sure that everybody knew that Alara was alive and well and very much having fun in Helios. And so I guess they. Great time. They they definitely succeeded in that. But I hated that afterwards, Enzo stands up and says, uh, tells all of the onlookers to spread the word that Princess Alara is alive and well in Helios. A little on the nose, (sighs) Yeah. It really was a moment killer. Super. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, I think they got it, bro. Yeah, got it. I think they got it. (laughs) Message received. I was trying, my brain wanted to be like, crisis averted. And it wasn't, right? Mission accepted. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So after this dance, they meander through the town and the revelry. They end up on a terraced rooftop somewhere, and they finally, finally kiss. Enzo has, like, fireworks set up for this and everything. I I know! (laughs) But they kiss for, like, two seconds, and the moment is promptly ruined again. (laughs) Cockblock for the tenth time! (laughs) Because Tora, the goddess of love, and Eli, the trickster god, show up and wish to speak with Alara. They're like, hey, Enzo, can you get the fuck out of here? And he's just like, uh, no. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. You guys were not helpful when she was being tortured, so, like, I'm gonna leave you alone? No. (laughs) Right. And Enzo's like, I'm not going anywhere. And Eli's like, okay, well, then I'm going to tell her your secret if you don't. And he's like, okay. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Um, he clearly doesn't want Alara to know a secret, which I thought was interesting. No, because it probably is that he loves her. Right. So Enzo stands a little bit away. And Alara basically has that, that attitude with them. He's, she's like, what could you possibly want from me? You are useless to me. Leave me alone. You left me to die with a maniac. So fuck off. Right. So fuck right what off. What was the whole point right. of that fucking conversation? I don't know. I don't, just... even, I don't even have written down what Tora says, except that she reveals that Eli likes Elara. And I'm like, is there a potential Ryzan Tamlin situation here? Which, ah. Uh... Okay, so we'll get to it at the end of the book, but I would prefer that. So The thing that she reveals is the only relevant and interesting thing that happened on that conversation is, one, Tora says that something uh, ancient lies within Alara that she could only guess at, and that's kind of it. And then we learn that uh, Marissa is related to Tora, and that's it. Oh, Marissa is her daughter. Which I did not see that I didn't either. I didn't either. That was interesting. But so we, we learn this because Marissa comes running up and tells Alara and Enzo that they got to go because the crowds are getting unruly. They really want to see Alara soon. And that's when Tora's like, oh, hello, daughter. And Marissa's like, oh, God. Hi, mother. And everybody's hello. just like, what? <laughs> what? 
No. So yeah, that was that was a good gotcha. I did not see that yeah. coming. No, not at all. So our merry band of assholes leave and they go back to Helios. And on the way, Enzo tries to explain about the secret thing. And Alara, I think, has a very mature response to this. She's like, you don't have to tell me. When you're ready, I'm ready to listen. But, like, I don't want you to feel like you are, you have to tell me because I know that you have a secret that you told Eli that you don't want me to know. Like, it's cool. It's right. chill. Also, you gave him a secret to save my life. So, like, it's it's really fine. <laughs> right. I really liked that response. I loved that it wasn't just like, what is it? You're keeping secrets from me, man. <laughs> yeah. I know. Because that, I would have. Yeah. Okay, so they go back to Helios, and they're excited because it's the summer solstice, right? It's the longest day of the year, and they get to spend the rest of it in in Helios. So Aphrodia, Aphrodia was like unexperienced, and they so they did the miss it, the did the mission, but apparently the summer solstice celebrations in Helios are something to experience. So the women go send the men off, and the women get ready together to enjoy the rest of the celebration. Alara tells the women that she kissed Enzo and they're like, okay, give me all the deets. But (laughs) she muses to herself. She doesn't tell, she doesn't share this with Marissa and Isra, but she thinks that she might love him, but denies her own feelings because soon she'll have to go back to her own kingdom. And even if she didn't, there's that prophecy hanging over her head. So she's like all kinds of inner feelings about this. The, The prophecy thing again is like coming up in terms of the miscommunication because it's like, You'll fall in love with a star. And so, like, I spent a lot of time in the book trying to figure out who the fucking star she was going to fall in love with. Like, at one point, I was like, is it Marissa? Because she's part star. I was like, is it herself? (laughs) And, like, make it gay. Make it gay. (laughs) Because she's falling in love with herself. They'll both die because their old self and their new self won't. And, like, I spent, and that's, again, why I don't like prophecies is because I spend so much of the book trying to pigeonhole the story into the prophecy. And it just makes it less enjoyable than perhaps it could have been. I also considered that the prophecy might be referring to her falling in love with herself or like learning to love everything about her because they refer early in the book to Picea, the patron star of um, Asteria, being the sleeping goddess that nobody's seen. And I was like, well, it's her, obviously. It's obviously. I had that thought too. Alara. And like she would fall in love with herself and the prophecy would be broken. Wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. That's not it's it. It's not it. No, no, but I wanted it to be. That. But th- I also don't know why Picea is slumbering. Like I wanted that to be more of a thing. Yeah. Right, and I wonder if that's going to come back around. Because, like, all the other stars, I feel like, are out and about and, like, doing shit. And Pisces is just like, meh. I was really frustrated with this because, like, it's so obvious that, like, her and Enzo are, like, meant for each other and blah, 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 blah. But because I, because of the prophecy, I was getting frustrated at this point. Because I was like, can you just, just be with him and, like, we'll deal with the rest later? Like, I was just, eh. Can you just, can you just? Yeah. Yeah. So they, the three women go to the throne room and meet up with Leo and Enzo and a fourth woman who ends up being Isra's date. Enzo and Alara go to some kind of temporary secluded place in the throne room. Like there's like these little cubby holes set up that are like you can close the curtains and it's like a private lounge area. It's basically a fucking cubby. They have so many just like <laughs> fucking areas like with the carriages and like these cubbies. Like, right. It's real weird. It's so weird. <laughs> But there's, like, a sofa and, like, furs and food and wine. And then they start to fool around. And Alara, or, sorry, Enzo, like, kneels in front of Alara and, like, takes his crown off and gives it to her and tells her to wear it as he starts to go down on her. And then immediately King Idris strolls in. I literally, I'm trying to find, like, the quotes because it was, like, 
uh, it was getting so hot. Like this, like it was like so getting good. gearing up to this like steamy scene. He says, like, do you know how good you look wearing my crown? And he's like, gonna go down on her. And my note literally says, the cock blocking, good lord. Like, I almost <laughs> chucked my Kindle. Because I was like, what the fuck? Like, I yeah. had this bookmarked. I was like, okay, this is going to be a, a return to your chapter. And then I got to this part and I was like, unbookmark. <laughs> I love the idea <laughs> so of the pretty. crown piece, though. I think that's so I do too. I, hot. Oh, it's so hot. It's so, so hot. So King Idris doesn't actually see Alara because she immediately cloaks herself. And so I think King Idris thinks that <laughs> Enzo is just kneeling in front of a couch on the floor. With like his no tongue reason. out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which like, what a weirdo. And King Idris kind of reacts just like that. He's like, okay, whatever it is, the fuck you're doing. <laughs> whatever you're doing is, we're not going to do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> So Idris is mad about the priest thing, the, you know, the thing that happened this morning. And the priest has somehow made trouble with the king. And so the King Idris warns Enzo not to embarrass him further or he'll paint Alara as the enemy and have her sent back to Hysteria. He'd have Enzo exiled too or killed if he doesn't listen. And Idris calls Alara a witch and remarks that he thought his son had more sense than to consort with scum like her. Enzo strikes him with his magic and the king says, I'll let that one slide and leaves. But he does warn him that Alara is not his anyway because of the prophecy. And Alara is invisible hearing this entire thing. And this makes reality come crashing back with her. Like, she knows that this can't be true. And so she, still invisible, glamoured, runs back to her room and just kind of leaves Enzo alone. In her, on her way back to the room, she runs into Marissa and Leo, who are fooling around, which I would so read that fanfic. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. I was like, yes. And Marissa can tell that there's something wrong. And so she follows her. Alara tells her, you know, she's been basically a fool and that she can't continue things with Enzo because of the prophecy. And when Enzo comes to her room to look for her, she tells him the same thing. And he doesn't even try to convince her otherwise. She's like, we should just be friends. I can't do this anymore. And he's basically like, okay, and leaves. Which made me really sad. I don't understand why he doesn't try to say more. I don't know either, because he clearly loves her. So, like, why is this not more of a conversation? Truly. I want to say, like, it's coming from a place of, like, he has to accept it, too. Where, like, he he is also emotional and feeling some type of way about it. And I did want him to be like, you know, prophecies be damned. I love you. Blah, 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 blah. But like, I can also understand that that information was also upsetting to him. Yeah. I also thought maybe he could have done the, well, they, they could have leaned into the, I think it was in light lark maybe where she was like, Oh, I don't love you. So it's okay. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember what book yeah, it is. Yeah, it's Light Lark. I think that was, it was Light Lark. Yeah. yeah. So after this schism, they spend the rest of the waiting time avoiding one another and being miserable. So we're defining the waiting time as they made this scene. They're waiting for word to get back to Ariette that Alara is alive in, a, in Helios so that he'll like come get her or try something. So that's the waiting time. They're both avoiding each other and being miserable. Alara trains with Leo 
And then one day they get word that Ariet has gotten, has become aware of Alara's situation and will arrive in Helios in the next two days. Alara avoids Enzo, but dreams about him trying to escape from a gruesome death in his studio. And to keep herself from dreaming, she goes to the baths in the middle of the night. So during the like waiting period where she's avoiding Enzo, she's um, practicing with Leo and he's like trying to encourage her to see him. And she's like, no, if I see him, I'm going to be distracted and I can't be distracted when um, Ariete is like two days away and coming to destroy me. And I'm like, that's a great idea. You're going to see him when you're fighting, presumably later. So why not like right. practice now? Like, <laughs> right. I, I had, had that same thought. <laughs> it didn't make sense. No. Well, and aren't you arguably more distracted thinking about not seeing him? Right. Yeah. So, like, I just... I don't know. Okay. It was a terrible excuse. And I get that, like, we all do terrible excuses from time to time. But, like... But it was super terrible. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So, while she's in this bath, this is, again, the sunken bath with the warm water, with the the ceiling that's enchanted to... That reminds her of the sky in Asteria. Enzo joins her because apparently they both use baths to calm their minds. And there's only one bath. (laughs) Only one bath. And so... He presses her about why she pulled away from him and asks her whether friendship is really all that she wants. He physically gets closer to her and ends up fingering her and edging her into admitting that she's a liar and that he means more to her than just friendship. I do not like the type of dirty talk that's like, lie to me again. And she says, I hate you because that's a lie, right? I don't. That does that is nothing for me. I don't like it. I, I usually like don't. It. I liked this one a lot. <laughs> I really liked it. I think I liked it because it was so, it, it wasn't like that weird, like derogatory talk down to me. Like, but it, it was sort of like that. Like it was very like flirty, like shut up. I hate you. We're like, clearly you don't. Yeah. Back to, back to Elara and Enzo. After their steamy session in the communal baths, he walks her back to her room and basically says, you know, I have to leave in the morning for to to help the kingdom prepare for Ariette's arrival and I'll leave at dawn. And if you want to talk before then, I will be there and willing to talk. And then they both go their separate ways and go into their rooms. Okay, so I appreciated this, like, I'll be there and we can talk. But, like, it's the middle of the night, so if you want to talk to me, it needs to be the next, like, three hours because I'm leaving at dawn. Three hours? <laughs> Try, like, 30 minutes. Otherwise, I'm going to be out. <laughs> Right. So I was just like, uh. Elara is all over the place. She clearly has feelings for Enzo, but is just doesn't know how to reconcile her feelings with the prophecy that's like dogged her her entire life. And so she goes to see Isra and talk to her about it. And Isra tells her that she saw Enzo. She sees Enzo as Elara's soulmate. Like she can see that with her power. And she tells her straight up, I don't know how that plays with your prophecy, but it's true. Like mates, like you guys are, are soul soulmates. They're fated to be together. And she also tells her that Enzo giving her his crown means that Enzo has declared Alara his chosen person and that he would make her his queen or forswear his throne, which I loved, loved mm-hmm. that. The, cr- I, the crown thing was hot on its own, but with that meaning, oof. Yeah. 
I know, I know. That, I was like, okay, this is fine. I am here for that. Thank you. But that makes like, me thank even you more very mad much. that they got cock-blocked. Yeah. And they keep getting cock-blocked. <laughs> Jesus. So, Isra also shares with Alara that Enzo has known that she's his soulmate since the day she conjured the, the shadow dragon, and that that is the secret that he shared with Eli, that he tried to tell her the day of the summer solstice. <sighs> Ilara runs back to the palace. It's basically dawn, but she, so she runs back to the palace to talk to Enzo. But by the time she gets to his room, he's already gone and she cries. She's desperate. She searches for any piece of him and ends up going to his studio. And there she looks at the project he was working on while she was healing that he would never show her and realizes that it's her from the day she conjured the dragon. So that look of just triumph and joy and elation is the look on her face. And that's what he was carving for weeks and weeks and weeks. So. While she was healing. Yeah. It's so beautiful. And then as she's having this realization and grieving the loss that she never got to tell him, Enzo is there. Okay, I kind of hated that. <laughs> I didn't. I loved it. I thought it made a lot of sense. <laughs> I kind of hate it. Because he's basically gone AWOL. Oh, okay, that's true. In that in, in the scheme of the story, I liked it. Yeah. But in the like, she's crying, she's just learned that like they're mates, and like she sees this beautiful thing he's made, and so she's like very distraught, and it's like four seconds and he's here. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. It strikes me that they must have been two ships passing in the night, like her going to the studio and him going to the studio, because it feels like he might yeah. have gone kind of to leave with his people and then realized he couldn't and then he told them to go without her. him and then couldn't go back to the palace because his dad would know and so went to his studio instead yeah which was really and nice i do like that and he is so a he, wall <laughs> he does tell her that he couldn't leave he couldn't ever leave her and that he's tried to give her space knew that he loved someone who could never love him back but can't deny it any longer and he would take the crumbs that she fed him anything and oh my god yeah that confession was, was one of the so most beautiful, beautiful ones I've ever read. That I would have taken you, I would have taken the crumbs that you fed me, taken you in sips, even when I wanted to drown, if it meant that I could be near you. I I could I could breathe those words and be totally happy. And then they just stare at each other, and she go or uh, and he looks at her and goes, "Drown me." <laughs> I have a confession for both of you. I think that this podcast and reading these books is breaking my heart. Oh, <laughs> cause like, Why? because like, it's just so beautiful. And like, I want that. And like, yeah, girl, yeah, same. I feel that <laughs> in my bones. So in my bony bones, in my bone holes, in my bone, like sometimes I'll be on like TikTok or Instagram and like smut scenes will come up that like people write or whatever, or like pull from books and I, like, can't even read them because I'm just like, this is going to make me sad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, in this conversation, Alara finally, finally admits and declares her love for him. And they finally consummate the relationship. Thank God. Because this is, like, in the 400 realm for these pages. Like, we are in this book. <laughs> I know. And... He starts the scene again by giving her his crown and 
continuing the scene that he was going to do on the summer solstice, which, yes, please, thank you. He also <sighs> says once he has given the crown and, like, gotten down on his knees, and he says, something tells me you enjoy seeing me on my knees. And she says, I've never seen such a pretty sight. And he says, perhaps instead of a queen, I'll make you a goddess. That way I can worship you the way I'm supposed to. Uh, I mean, she did want to be revered. I mean, and he is. Mm-hmm. Worshipping. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anyway, this is a very good scene. There's a couple of technical misses, which I, did, I didn't write down, but they, they weren't, like, egregious misses. Also, she tells him to beg at one point. Ugh. It's, uh. <laughs> all of it is just, like, it's long. It's, because this scene, I feel like this scene is, like, three chapters. Like, it's not, but it is. It's it's good. It's great. Yeah. It's not fan. one of those scenes that's just, like, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. It's, like, they take their time. Mm-hmm. They explore each other. I really like yeah. it. Yes. But then, afterwards, they go out half-dressed to get food at a bakery nearby. Yeah, what the fuck was that? <laughs> like, when I say half-dressed, I mean he's shirtless. And just has pants on. And she's wearing his shirt. Right. What the fuck? I I would never. Ma'am. they like pass people in the halls and like no one cares. But then they show up at the bakery and the guy that owns the bakery is just like, finally, you guys fucked. Oh, my God. I thought it would take for I thought it would take years. Like, Uh, uh, that's a lot of putting your your shit on blast. Well, and like there's this whole no shirt, no shoes, no service. Don't go to a bakery without pants on. Put your pants on. <laughs> yeah. Because is she even wearing underwear? I think she's just wearing his shirt. Yeah. She's just, she's literally naked underneath his shirt. And I don't even think they have shoes on. I don't know. Right. So like, what the fuck? <laughs> right. But so the, the, the pastry people like gush about a royal wedding. And then Elara and Enzo go back to the, the art studio place. And they have lunch out on kind of like a terrace area. And she illusions them to making them not seen and uh there's a blowjob scene that gets an a plus for me a plus Mm -hmm. yeah a plus i feel like a lot of books recently have shied away from like those scenes or like it's fade to black and i appreciated that this one did that it's very good yep it's very good and we should show that because i feel like that is also showing um reciprocation well not only that but like female sexuality yeah. Like, it's not a dirty thing. Like, we can... Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Get your freak on. Get your freak on. Anyway, um, he, bef- he also has the great, like, quintessential li- quintessential blowjob scene line of, like, good girl, now take it all in. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Liz is turning red. <laughs> Anything more you want to say, Liz? No. (laughs) So they do decide to go back to the palace. But before they do, Enzo takes her again to the uh, Angel's Graveyard where they train. So that place with the red sand and the two golden statues. I didn't catch the name the first time. I don't think they said it the first time. No. Oh, really? Oh, really? I don't know. I I, I either. But like, it seems like something I would have like noted. Because I would have been like, why the fuck are you taking her a graveyard to train? Yeah, it's a weird name. I mean, but so the the legend that they did talk about the first time was this: they think the sand is red because it's stained with the blood of all of these like old mythical creatures that died there in a battle. Yes. But I, I don't know if they called it the Angel's Graveyard. So like it didn't Im- immediately click for me either that this was the place they've been before. Yeah. 
But he tells her that it's a ritual of his to go there before a battle, that it somehow like invigorates him and gives him strength. He points out the platform in the center that they trained on before. So it's like these two statues and then there's a circular platform in the middle of this red sand like area. And he points out that there are stars and their symbols carved into it. So like the stars that we've been talking about, Torah, Ariette, etc. Those are carved into part of it, but that there are other symbols in the ring outside of the stars. Enzo shares with Alara that his nursemaid would take him up there and tell him stories of the way of life before the stars. And when he mentioned this to his father, his father burned the nursemaid at the stake and made Enzo watch. Real nice guy, his dad. Yeah, real piece of work, that fucking guy. Childhood trauma. (laughs) Jesus. Enzo shares that he feels like something in the world is shifting and that she and that they are both a part of it. As they speak, the statues suddenly become alive. That, I was like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> Same. I thought that was very cool, I though. Oh, and yeah. The, the way that, the, okay, so it's a, it's a, one of the, it's two angels, right? And so one of the angels says something to the effect of fucking finally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. And basically tells them that they've been waiting for a long time for these two to show up. And have this conversation that they're having about something shifting and asking these questions and blah, blah. And Alara has the question, why didn't you just say this the first time we came here? And the angel's like, would you have been in the right headspace to accept that information if I had done that? And she's like, no, well, fuck you, you're right. <laughs> I love that these angels are just like, we are your therapists for a hot second. Were you ready to hear the truth? No? Okay. Yeah. Well, look inside yourself. I also like it because at one point Enzo says, like, fuck me, like, out of surprise. And the angel's like, manners, young man. <laughs> <laughs> I know. The angel is very snooty and yes. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I would also just read a book about the angel. Like just I putting people in their place. So, <laughs> manners. I have a theory about the manners. angel. Okay. Share? Well, let's get into what okay. the angel says and then yeah. we'll get into theory. So the angel starts talking and as they do, a winged lion approaches them too. So now it's the angels and the, the winged lion. But the angels basically tell them that the stars killed the old gods through trickery. But the old gods have gifted the two of them, Elara and Enzo, with their power. Power that the stars cannot wield. Mm. But that Enzo and Elara must be careful. A tide is turning and things are unraveling as fate designed. My theory is, because the winged lion, and this is a little bit spoilery, but the winged lion in my mind is Enzo. Mm -hmm. I think one of the angels is... Alara. Okay. Or at least, like... Who's the other angel? Yeah, I don't know. I was saying it, and I forgot that there were two of them, so, like, my theory kind of fell apart. Well... Because the winged lion I thought of as Enzo, too. It's not Enzo, though. It's got to be his envoy, because Enzo is the sun. Oh, you're right. But my thought process is that it's... Because don't we learn at one point that they've been reincarnated a bunch? Yeah, so the old gods, or the stars, killed the old gods, the sun and the moon. And so that's why... She's the moon, and he's the sun. But that's why the the sky is all weird colors, right? Because it just is light, and then it is dark. There's no heavenly body in the sky that they're tracking. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay. And then when, at the end of the book, when he goes into a coma, the world is plunged into, like, actual night, like, that we have. You're right. No colors. You're right. I was... I missed those... I missed and also forgot some of those pieces. <laughs> but they are immortal enemies. So the 
they talk about how like the winged lion is named i forget his name but he was a great warrior and the angels and he fought and they're like aren't you guys supposed to be like not friends and they're like well time heals a multitude of sins basically we've had a lot of time to sit here and like get to know each other (laughs) but i think about it (laughs) i think that like they represent the two halves of the old gods right like the the winged lions and then the angels somehow yeah anyway as they leave, the statue, Celine, speaks privately to Alara and tells her to never part with the dusk, bla- dusk glass blade. Never give it to the prince. Very specifically says, never give it to the yeah. prince. So Alara kind of takes this bit of information, tucks it into her back, po- back pocket, and they, she and Enzo go back to the palace and into her room. She makes a show to us, the reader, of taking the dusk glass dagger out of its holster and putting it on the nightstand. And she and Enzo spend the night together. And this scene is also really good. It's, yeah, this book, it like picked up at the end. I was really worried that it wasn't going to be spicy. And it's quite yeah, nice. It is. So in this scene, he's he's possessive when she asks for it. And we get a lot of claiming language, but it's from both of them, which is refre- refreshing. So like he'll say something, but then she'll say something back to him. Like he'll say, you're mine. And she says, yeah, but you're also mine. So like, look out. Which I love. Yes. They fall asleep together, knowing that the day ahead of them will be a dark one. The next morning starts out real dark because Alara (laughs) is alone. And very quickly, she's arrested by the guards of Helios. When she's brought to the throne room, she sees Ariette, King Idris, and Enzo. They are handing her over to Ariette. Enzo is incredibly cruel, says that she's not the only one who's good at illusions, intimating that his side was all an act. He gives the dusk blade, the yeah, the dusk blade glass to Ariette and is basically just like, you stupid bitch. Of course I would never love you. And she's thrown into the dungeons awaiting a farce of a trial so that people don't riot at her being taken away. How did you guys read this? Because it was a gut punch to me. <laughs> uh, I the whole time was like, this has to be an act. I was like, also, she has the crown thing, so, like, she should be in charge of stuff. And I was like, no, it's got to be an illusion. Like, I I did not believe it for a second, but I was irate. My brain went to, like, a super intense Akatar where, like, it was just, or no, not even Akatar, like, just a Frozen thing where Hans is like, of course I never loved you. And I was like, God fucking damn it. <laughs> And I, I thought it was real, and I was going to be upset and also impressed. I thought that he was acting. Like, not acting like didn't love her. I, I never doubted that he loved her. I thought that he was maybe playing along with his dad and Ariette so that he could somehow, like, get them out of that situation. But... You guys None of that is the case. Way more faith in him than I did. I was like, nope, he sucks. <laughs> he sucks. <laughs> Drop him like a bad hat. Bad hat. I did. Yep. Bad hat. <laughs> I thought it's bad habit. Alara is in the dungeons and she grieves. She's like, she's where we were, the readers. She's going through all of her memories, trying to figure out where she missed things. Like what is happening? She's reeling. The darkness comes for her. It's a real thing. That power that she has in her, that she wields to shadow mance and all of these things comes to her in her mind, 
gives her solace, tells her to give in, to surrender to her own nature, and she does. She takes solace in it, and I mean, to the point that we were talking about, like with the prophecy earlier, like she does kind of accept fully all of herself. Because remember, her parents have been telling her, don't feel, don't use your powers, that's not okay. And so she finally gives into her feelings, she gives into her powers, and the darkness comforts her. When she wakes up, Enzo comes to see her, but she's found clarity. So Enzo enters the cell and he's twirling the dusk, dusk glass blade. Alara taunts him, saying, you always were like a, a good, like, I had a quick wit or something like that. And as soon as he gets close enough, she stabs him with the real dusk glass that she has apparently kept on her the whole time through an illusion. I was so relieved because Same. when he hands over the dust glass the first time i was like yeah uh i like it because she's like isn't that true enzo i beg your pardon gem devil's in the details and i've memorized every one of enzo's you had a silver earring and not gold yes i loved that <sighs> so this version of enzo is not enzo it's gem glamored as enzo and alara saw through that because of the details and this is where I have in my notes, damn, this is the part of the book where I, I wanted the rest to be like this. Because, like, since they gave into their feelings and, like, well, actually, no, since the ballet onward felt like a very different book than the first part. Yeah. 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 And I wanted this yeah. book. Because uh, we get the third medalist fuck scene. <laughs> As she is killing Jem, she... she fucking mercs her <laughs> she tells Jem that she gives alara gives Jem her word that sh that Jem will leave the palace alive if Jem will tell alara where they're keeping enzo and so Jem tells her and then alara kills her by driving the blade into her heart and suffocating her with her shadows she tells Jem as she's dying that she didn't lie when she said she's not like the other stars that she's worse. Oh. She's oh my a God. fucking badass. She's such a badass. I loved it so much. I was here for it. Oh. She's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, she goes and finds Enzo where Jem told her she would find him and they hatch a plan. So she dreamwalks to Isra and Marissa and Leo, but we don't see the details. We just are kind of in the plan when it happens. So the next day at dusk, she's back in her cell and she's led out to the square by Leo and other palace guards for this trial. There is an unruly crowd cheering in favor of Elara, calling Idris a tyrant, etc., etc. The king and Ariadne and Enzo, who they all still think is Jem, come out and the crowd jeers at them. The king makes Enzo, who he thinks is Jem, read the terms, but instead of asking Alara how she pleads, he asks Idris how he pleads. Oh. <laughs> The next thing that happens is that the crowd, which was actually an illusion spun by Alara, disappears and is replaced by a hundred Alaras who all scatter, including the real one, and run in different directions. Scatter! Ariet is fucking pissed. He draws his blade and pursues some of them. <laughs> I gotta pick one. Leo is dispatched to find and keep safe the real Alara, as he's very much still on the right side of history here. Enzo has a reckoning with his father. Faja. His, 
His father taunts him, not believing that he has it in him to kill his own father, but Enzim proves him wrong, burning him. And when he opens his mouth to scream, Enzo forces his flames down his throat. Again, metal as fuck. Yes. And at the end of it, he goes, but I am not a prince anymore. I am king. Long may I reign. Ooh. Ooh. So so good. Badass. Ariette follows a version of Alara onto a roof where Leo and Alara and Isra wait, illusioned. Marissa is a glamoured version of Alara and tries to lure Ariette into a false sense of safety while Alara can knife him in the back. So she's basically trying to seduce him or, like, say, oh, what took you so long? And, like, kneeling before him, all of that kind of thing. But it goes sideways pretty quickly. Leo has to jump in, tries to fight Ariette with Marissa, but they both get spent pretty quickly. Isra jumps in. She gets spent. Alara jumps in. She is spent. Finally... Enzo comes to the rescue and grabs the dusk glass, and it seems like he'll kill Ariette, but Ariette has a sword and puts it in Enzo's gut. No! 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 As Enzo is dying, Alara makes a hole in the roof that they're on, so they fall into the throne room, and he is dying in her arms, and as he does so, he tells her to take his power, and that he knew that it was her... That was the one in his dreams when he was small. So before they had shared that someone would come to him in his dreams and comfort him when he was small and being abused by his father. That's also how he knew that old Asteri song. Oh, yeah. Not Asteri. Asterian song. And he dies in her arms. And what the fuck? Alara's... <laughs> yeah, seriously. What the fuck? But Alara, her vengeance flows through her like lava. Ariette joins the room, and Marissa is his hostage, but Alara dispatches that quickly. She pins Ariette with power, which is now living dust glass, because she has gotten the light power from Enzo. But before she deals a killing blow, Marissa plunges the dust glass knife into her heart, telling her to remember who she is. And I did not understand why Marissa's doing this. I That doesn't make any sense to me. I was like, who the fuck are you? Where did you come from? Like, could you not have let her kill Ariette first right. completely? Right. Come on. I don't know. In her, like, semi-conscious state, Alara remembers that she is the moon and Enzo is the sun. I called it, by the way. I called it when they were in the angel's graveyard. I wrote down, are they the sun and the moon? And I was like, that's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out, not stupid. (laughs) Turns out you were right on the money. I didn't know until I was told. (laughs) I, I also didn't know until I was told. Oh, I'm so glad. But Finally. I, I still was like, she's Picea. That's 100% who she is. Which also would have been good. I still don't know where good. the fuck Picea is during this whole thing. Right, girl. She's Hello. asleep. Where are you? <laughs> she's up, tired. Lazy bitch. <laughs> As someone who loves sleep, like, I'm not. <laughs> she is lay tired. <laughs> so they were the old gods before the stars got jealous of their love and overthrew them. They have had this beautiful love story for forever and have basically been trying to find each other since Elara goes to Enzo and meets him in her dreamland and they both remember who they are and have this conversation but when she wakes up back in reality Ariette has stolen Enzo's tether but we don't know what that is but he basically says have fun trying to get him back to you without this thing and Ariette flees streaking across the sky as a red shooting star Enzo isn't actually dead, but he won't wake up. So he's kind of like in a coma that nobody can wake him up from. 
Alara earlier had promised that she would plunge the world into darkness if Enzo was ever taken from her. And so she does that. She is the moon and she has shattered the hold that the stars have over the earth. So in Helios, the sky is kind of like this burnt orange color in Asteria. It was like this bruised purple, but like there was no sun. There was no moon tracking across the sky. She shatters those areas of influence. And now the sky is just this endless black with a bunch of stars. And she, the moon, the new thing is rising over the entire world and tinting the sky into blackness. Which I it's thought was really so badass. fucking badass. It's really, it's really badass. And I also love like some of the last lines before the end here. Well, just really quick. So Tora, a couple of housekeeping things. Tora visits Alara, tells her the truth of the prophecy. The sun is technically a star and technically they did both die. So it's fulfilled, which I hate. <laughs> Yeah, Marissa, that was weak. <laughs> Marissa prods Alara at the coronation. Or Marissa tells Alara that the coronation for Asteria and Helios needs to happen. But Alara, for some unknown stupid reason, demurs and said that instead she'll travel through Celestia and find the other Titans so they can awaken a son. Like, you still should you should still take your shit and be queen of both of those places. Right, like, and they need a leader. Like, come on. Yeah. And then you can go frolic off for find the Titans. But then she does she does this weird thing at the end where she goes on a vigilant a vigilante defacement mission and burns the words the stars will fall into one of the squares in Helios and I'm like why? Yeah, I was confused about why. I liked the wording, I just didn't understand why. No, yeah. cuz it felt like she went from badass to like now I'm just a rebellious teenager and I'm pissed. <laughs> Right, burn the world, girl, but, like, be the queen of Helios and Asteria, make it just your world now, and then also travel through Celestia looking for the Titans, or better yet, send other people to do that. Right, we don't have to vandalize things, okay? Truly. It's your kingdom I'm now. I'm you guys are drawing the line at vandalism. <laughs> it just seems like a step back. I don't have a problem with vandalism. I just no. think that she can do better, you know? I love vandalism, but, yeah, she could do better. It just seems whiny. It does. So, does what were the quotes that you liked? Uh, I liked Stars Will Fall. Um, mm-hmm. And I also did really like that, you know, we are going to travel through Celestia and find the other Titan. Then we are going to awaken the sun. <laughs> I uh, love how we, at least Katie, you and I changed our ratings. <laughs> I did, yeah. The space was way better than I remembered it being. Well, yeah, when we finally got there, I didn't feel like... I mean, I was bought in. I, I had the t-shirt, right? So, like, yeah. I was there for it. I was here for it. And it was just really great with, like, the crown and the wording and the... <laughs> yeah, the crown scene. Just I like, am mm, changing girl. mine mm. also. I wanted to do one four and one three because it does not feel like a three book. It feels like a four a four star book. I feel like this book is probably, like, a three and a half star book, but the next book might be better. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so who wants to talk about Spice. Um, I'll talk about Spice since I turned myself on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Liz, how did we rate the Spice? We rated the Spice at a three. Um, like we've kind of said, when we started this book, we have read a lot of books since finishing this one. And so I think, um, at least for myself, I kind of forgot about the Spice. And for the first half of the book, I was really annoyed with the cock blocking. Um, but by the time we actually get to the spice, I feel like they've established such a good relationship and it's just like, uh, it's so hot with the crown. And like I said, like the words he uses, 
and she uses and like the the power dynamic of both of them like mm-hmm. it just it like hits all the blocks for me um yeah. for me it was only a three and not perfect because like as per usual i want more i want yeah. more <laughs> you greedy bitch i'm How a greedy you? bitch <laughs> all right Desiree, how did we rate the writing style? Uh, we gave it a three, and I think, like, some of the things we've talked about throughout here, like, the pacing is a little weird sometimes. There's some incontinuity. Incontinuity? Continuity issues. I'm not sure what incontinuity <laughs> is, but... <laughs> incontinuity is kind of like when a story can't hold its hearing. <laughs> yeah. <that's>, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but there's, there's a few things here and there that just don't add up or don't hit the way that we want them to. Um, so smack dab in the middle with a three. I like it. And so the quality of storytelling, we all read it as a four. I think this book took a while to get us in hook, line, and sinker, right? But then once it did, we were we were here for it. And I, I think that shows in our commentary, especially towards the end of the book, pacing issues aside, we did buy into their love story. We did buy into the world building that we had. And I thought some of the, the story elements that we've talked about, like the different colors of the sky, the prophecies, the way that the gods work and things like that were interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think the thing that's important here, and one of, I was kind of tripped up on the way that I was rating it originally. The story is interesting. Like the story itself is interesting and has a lot of exciting parts and there's a lot of really great moments throughout the book. Writing style could use a little bit of work, but the story itself is, is pretty good. Yeah. And so we all give it a thumbs up. We recommend it, which means we are going to be reading book two whenever that drops if it's not out. FYI, the second book is out. It is called Fallen Stars. It's a green cover. All right, guys, we did it. Those are our thoughts on Heavenly Bodies by Imani Ariu. Thank you for joining us, as always, on this journey. What did you think about this book? Let us know on the socials. We are at Spice Herders Pod. And until then, we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.